We reference the television series Smallville a lot around here, and there's one Smallville rewatch podcast that's always at the top of my queue. Always hold on to Smallville, hosted by our pal, Zach Moore. Zach and his guests bring tremendous insight, passion, and humor as they discuss each and every episode of the series that ushered in the renaissance of superhero TV. Listen to Always Hold On to Smallville wherever you get podcasts, and keep an eye out for the other shows under the Always Hold On to banner, including Arrow, DC's Legends of Tomorrow, Superman and Lois, and Star Wars. Hop in the Supermobile and join us for the spinoff podcast Beyond Metropolis, available exclusively for members of my Patreon community. It's a monthly tour across the DC universe with the signature Digging for Kryptonite style applied to your other DC favorites. Additional Patreon rewards include advanced listens, sponsorships, and more. We offer regular monthly memberships, discounted annual plans, free trials, and a la carte purchases. Visit patreon.com slash anthonydesiato or click the link in the show notes for more. Thank you all. 30 years ago, I stood in front of a comic shop advertising the death of Superman in its window display. That moment outside Heroes World set me on a path, a lifelong fan journey leading directly from that tattered red cape to this podcast. Now, together, we mine Superman's vast 85-year mythology by examining, discovering, and reconsidering the stories that have shaped the last son of Krypton. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to rank all 16 films in the DCEU is the host of Always Hold On to Smallville, our pal, returning guest, Zach Moore. Welcome. Hello there. 16 films, Anthony. I thought there were only 15. Well, we'll get into all that. <laughs> <laughs> I Just for the record, I rank 16 as well. So there has always been 16 or... There have always been two Justice Leagues. Let's put it that way. So, yes, I'm that's, with you there. that's how we arrived at that number. I have been so excited to do this episode. I'm honored to have you here. The DCEU or DC Extended Universe, a term coined by an Entertainment Weekly reporter and later adopted by fans and the Warner Brothers itself. Ten years started with Man of Steel in 2013, concluded at the end of 2023 with Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. And we started in the DCEU with the birth of Kal-El, the birth of Kal-El, the, the boy who would be Superman. And we ended at the end of Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom with Orm eating a cockroach cheeseburger. So if that doesn't sum up the journey that we've been on, I don't know what does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, there it is right there. There's something to be said for that. I think for sure. Oh, I know on that note, I want to pose a question, a big picture question, and you can answer it now, you can answer it at the end, you can answer now and amend your answer at the end, but I want to pose the question now. Now that the DCEU has concluded, and we can look back at this decade-long 16-film journey, for you personally, what is the predominant feeling or view that you have toward the DCEU at this point? It's a, it's a big question, and... You know, my, my opinions have, have evolved and changed over the years. It's funny, podcasting for so long. I, I started always on the Smallville in 2016, which is right when BVS came out. Like, I started in February of 2016. So other than Man of Steel, I have been podcasting about Superman, about the character and the universe, uh, almost for this whole thing. And... It's so interesting to kind of go back and see like what my initial thoughts were and then 
how they made a change and how I might have come back around. And, you know, I'm sure people, they listen to one thing for me from out of like five years ago. And they listen to something for me from five months ago. Like, hey, wait a minute. You said this about that. I'm like, look, man, this is 10 years. <laughs> so my, my thoughts and opinions have changed. So ultimately, um, frustration would be the word I would use because there is a lot of stuff here that works really well. And there's a lot of other stuff that doesn't work very well. And I think that that is, I would say objectively like that, that remove everybody's like, I like this or I like that just objectively things worked, things didn't. And, um, ultimately I feel that the studio, although the studios were changing regimes constantly throughout these 10 years, so that's its own thing, but they were way too reactionary, which leads to these radically different movies. And you say, but look at the MCU or look at the X-Men movies. A lot of them are different. Yeah, but it's a different kind of different than the DCEU is different. And you have this mishmash of tones and and and, and approaches to characters and... Um, and it's tough because right when you think they might be turning it around, they turn back around and it, you're just at ping pongs all over the place. And that leads to frustration because it was hard to really sit down and get invested in what was coming next. Uh, because even when they, like I said, they swing one way, they swing back the other. And, and here we are, right? These are, these are characters that we obviously all love and have very strong, passionate feelings about. And, and to see everything kind of and, and, you know, all the behind the scenes stuff as well. We, people like us who exist in this world, we can't help. But those things can't help but influence our opinions. Right. And, and, and our thoughts about things. And that's that's part of the that's part of the game here as well. So um, that that's those are my opening thoughts on the DCEU. I share what you just expressed. Frustration is the word that I keep coming back to. I keep coming back to this feeling that the universe was mismanaged and that there was for most of its run, unfortunately, this lack of cohesion, lack of direction, lack of vision and reactionary, I think is a perfect word for it in their quest to chase the MCU in their quest to please everyone. I don't know that they really pleased anyone. Totally. I would be surprised if there were anyone out there, Snyder fan or not, right. Who was wholly satisfied with the DCEU. And it's unfortunate. And I look back on it and I I won't go too far down this, this road. The audience knows I'm a fan of the Snyder films. He originally had this five film arc that he wanted to deliver. Had the studio committed to that and said, look, this is, this is the ride that we're on. We hope everyone comes around, but this is what we're doing. That would have been one thing. If they had pivoted away, but pivoted away in a cleaner, more effective manner that actually set them on a new path, that would have been something else as well. But instead, we got this very clumsy attempt via the theatrical version of Justice League to course correct. And I don't think they ever got back on track. It never felt like we were building towards anything, that there was any sort of overall narrative that they were trying to cultivate with maybe a couple of isolated pockets here and there where they seem to be trying to get something going. So it's it's a, a really sad feeling to have about a universe populated by the characters we love so much. And I think the other thing that compounds all of this for you, for me, for people listening to this show or to your show, we love Superman. And if there's one character <laughs> who... I feel like really got a raw deal in all this. It's Superman because he's languished 
on the sidelines for so long. And it's just, it's, it's unfortunate. So that's, that's kind of where I am. That sense of frustration is the prevailing one for me as well at this point, now that it's all said and done. Yeah. Yeah. And, and obviously as we count down our list here, we will, we'll, things will come to mind and we can expand on some things and, and, and get deeper into our thoughts and why we may think the way we do. But yeah, it's, um, it's unfortunate. And even, even in a vacuum, right? If you ignore the MCU, it's so easy to compare like, well, you know, Marvel X, Y, Z. And I was like, well, yeah, but, uh, y- 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 but that's, that is, you cannot talk about the DCEU without talking about the MCU because, um, clearly they were looking across, uh, across town, seeing what those guys were doing at Marvel, wanted to do some of that. And, uh, and you end up with this tonal mishmash you know, of 16 movies. So Exactly. And again, 16 movies, that's counting both the theatrical version of Justice League, Justice League for short, and Zack Snyder's Justice League. Now, Zack and I are going to count down from 16 to 1. We'll alternate. We decided that whenever a movie comes up first on one of our lists, that's when both of us will talk about that film, regardless of where it falls on the other person's list, to hopefully keep us moving along here. Let me ask you just a couple of preliminary questions about how you crafted your list here. What were the main criteria that really drove the order here? What were the things that you were really trying to balance? Because I know you're a thoughtful guy and I know, you, I'm sure you had a lot of <laughs> consideration into where each of these fell, as did I. I probably probably spent more time thinking about this than I should have, as if as if the world is waiting to hear what my list is going to be. This, but but at the same time, like- the I'm, final word. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, I don't, I'm not, I don't plan on doing another one of these episodes, famous last words, two years from now, I'll be like, oh, I'll revisit it. But right. I don't plan on doing that. This is the only time I really plan on ranking these and putting it out there. So yeah, I wanted to be something that I'm like, okay, I stand behind this and this is what it is. But what were the criteria that really were driving you? Well, I, I continuously ranked these movies for a long time, right? As, as kind of, they come out and got these lists and you're like, Oh yeah. yeah people want to know what, like, Oh, what, where does it rank on, you know, and, and, and how does that fit for you? And it kind of says a lot when somebody knows your preferences, sees your lists and sees where the new one fits. Right. So that's part of the fun. So you know, for me, ultimately, it was just enjoyment, which I guess you go without saying. <laughs> it's like, um, and, and then like, there's a lot of intangibles, right? So there's certain intangibles in some films that that put them above other ones that might not have that, you know? And, and especially when you get near the middle, like to me, the bottom is very clear, very clear, right? <laughs> like there's crystal clarity on the bottom, uh, you know, two or three of these. The top, the top, I've kind of the, the top three or so. They've kind of gone around. There's like a three that I'm like, all right, these these are my top three. They kind of always have been. I don't see anything. I'm I'm very open to to those changing. Right? Then there's like the middle, and there's a big middle, and there's like there's there's tiers. You know, even though it's a list of sixteen, it's like, well, you have like, all right, best of the best tier up here. Man, like I really like what some things here, but there were too many flaws for to really win me over, at least personally. Um, then there's like, okay, these are fine, but I'm certainly not gonna go like watch them on repeat. They're not gonna be part of my regular rotation. And there's some at the bottom, like these are awful. I can't believe it. And if I didn't, if I wasn't a Superman podcaster, I would have watched these once and never watched them again, maybe twice. But because I exist in this world and it's kind of <laughs> my bread and butter these days or you know whatever you want to call it right? um i revisit them 
far more than anyone should. Uh, but I do have fun talking about them regardless of quality. So, so that's, does that answer your question? It does. Yeah, no, it's interesting to get that insight. I found, I struggled more with actually some of the lower ones. My, my top tier, I had a much easier time with, I'll say this, separating them into four tiers was pretty, was a pretty smooth process. I got there relatively quickly. The order yes. within got more challenging. And I, like I said, I did struggle a bit with the ones at the bottom and it was a, it was a weird, pl- I, I would have preferred to have had your problem where it's like, I love this one so much, but I also love this one because it was a weird debate to be having with myself. Like this one isn't good, but this one's also really not good. So, <laughs> so I struggled a little bit there, but I, I feel good with where I landed and yes, overall enjoyment, of course, rewatchability was a big factor for me. Yeah. That definitely played a large role. And for lack of a better term, I'll just call this context. So we had a few true sequels in the DCEU, and I think you and I agree, most of them really didn't work. And I did kind of have to take that into account, where if those movies weren't sequels but had existed in a vacuum, I probably would have been a little bit more forgiving. But given that they came after successful outings for those characters from the same creative people in front of and behind the camera and they dropped the ball of the sequels, I have to take that into account. And that ranked them lower. That ended up yeah. ranking them lower than they would have otherwise. So that context There's, quote, aspect, there's quote unquote no excuse for those kinds of things. That's the way I see it, right? Yes. And what I tried to do, so I didn't rewatch a ton of these in advance of this episode because on my Patreon show, Digging for Justice, I've been rewatching and discussing all of these movies over the past year and a half. So most of them were relatively fresh. I did rewatch... Black Adam and Flash, because I had only seen each of those movies once in theaters. And with Black Adam, I went in and I was so excited about the Henry Cavill cameo. And I, I didn't know if that colored my view and made me made me uh, more agreeable to the movie than I would have been otherwise. And then similarly with Flash, I went in kind of a little, a little, little amped up, uh, <laughs> maybe a little predisposed to be, to be a little skeptical or cynical because we had been beaten over the head with the idea that this is the greatest superhero movie ever made. So I wanted to go in and be as objective and clear-minded as possible. I also rewatched Suicide Squad because it had been a while for that and I wanted to take another look at that. So there were a few that I specifically rewatched, but again, those were some of the criteria governing my choices. And let me, this is the last thing I'll say, and then we'll start with number 16 is well, A, there will be spoilers. I think that should go without saying at this point. Not that we're doing a, a <laughs> yeah. plot by plot or a point by point breakdown of these films, right. but there will be spoilers. The other thing is these are our lists, right? Zach and I are not going to agree with each other. We'll still be friends when this is over. And for anyone listening to this, again, these are our lists, right? If there's a movie that's number 16 for one or both of us and it's your favorite movie and you get something out of it and it's meaningful to you, awesome. Keep on enjoying it. This is not meant to make you feel otherwise. And what I would love is for people to share their lists. So if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I wouldn't put that there. I'd put it here. Comment, send us a message, send us an email, let us know. I would, I would love to know how people rank these movies. So again, we're not looking to speak for everyone, just for ourselves. These are our lists and hopefully we can all have fun and have a good time with this. So if you are outraged at what we put at number 15 or 16, don't turn off the episode. Just keep listening. It'll, (laughs) It'll be all right. And we'll all be friends when this is over. Yes, absolutely. I, I reiterate that myself. And uh, it's, it's these are fictional characters, right? <laughs> so the quote Ben Affleck from that uh, gif in that movie that I forget, uh, but I see all the time. And uh, it, it's true. These are opinions. 
You know, and and like you, I find it fascinating when somebody has a really strong opinion that's opposite of mine, and I love to have a conversation about it because it's like, really, you, you think that, <laughs> you know, and uh, and that's it can be really insightful because you're like, wow, I never really saw it that way or anything like that. And uh, and some of my some of my favorite podcasts, they, they can talk about something that I love and they hate it. And I'm like, wow, why? <laughs> you know, or or vice versa. You know, it gives you a new perspective. But uh, yeah, these are all. This is not the definitive. You know, end all be all. If you don't agree with us, you're wrong. List. This is just us having a good time ranking these movies that uh, you know that star all these characters that we've devoted so much of our free time to. So I'm looking forward to getting into it. Yes. All right. Number sixteen. As guest, I would like to offer you the opportunity to go first if you'd like. I will go first. All right. Zach Moore's number sixteen. Suicide Squad. This movie is terrible. Uh, I am convinced that the one-two punch of the theatrical cut of BVS and Suicide Squad crippled the DCEU before it was even getting out of the gate. Uh, it's just a nonsensical, somebody watched Guardians of the Galaxy and was like, we need to do that. Oh, well, we didn't do that when we shot it. I don't care. Turn it into that. And the needle drops are ridiculous. The plots, I mean, it just, uh, the, the Joker is terrible. I, I do not like Jared Leto as the Joker. When they said that Jared Leto was going to be the next Joker, I was like, that's that's great. He's just won an Academy Award, you know? Um, and then, like, he's going to be permawhite. He fell into a vat of chemicals. It's going to be comic book accurate. And then the, the design is just terrible. And uh, he's barely in the movie. Is all, and, and yes, I know there was a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff with Air and all that. But and, and, I'll, and I'll say this, and I'll, I'll toss to you, Anthony. The key difference, because I see a lot of this going on online, like you see, you know, release the Snyder cut and then you see release the air cut. Like I have a problem with equating the two because I recall before the theatrical version of Suicide Squad came out, David Ayer got up and said, F Marvel, this is the right <laughs> to kind of hype his film. Um, so it sounded like that he was pretty proud of that film when it came out. And now it's like, oh, well, that they didn't. So this is what I'm saying. There's so much behind the scenes stuff too that influences our opinion. But without any of that, I think objectively Suicide Squad is a very poorly put together film. And I know that's apparently not the film he wanted to put out initially, but that's what came out. And I just, I remember watching that and thinking, God, this is terrible. <laughs> And I really, I really do that for these. There's usually something, and you know, Will Smith is fun. I mean, I like Will Smith and stuff, and Margot Robbie is great as as Harley Quinn and all that. But it's just, it's not enough to save it, and it's just terrible to me. And it's at the bottom of my list, and it has been, and it continue, and it always will be now because the DCU is over. So there you go, number sixteen. You and I are very close. That's my number fifteen. Okay, and I'll be honest, I had it a little bit higher when I made my preliminary list. And that's, like I said, one of the ones that I rewatched. And the reason is, so I saw it in theaters when it came out. I didn't like it. When I covered it on my Patreon show with our mutual friend, Darren Kirst, yeah, I, re yeah. I rewatched it. But I rewatched it. This was really, I think, probably at the height of the release the air cut movement. And I watched it more, how do I put this? In a more forgiving light, trying to find what Ayer claimed he was going for. So as I was watching it, I was like, okay, where's this movie that he claims is, is there? And I think I came away a little, a little bit more positive on the film, but for purposes of this, and you, you were getting at this a moment ago, we have to evaluate it based on what was put out there, not what the director claims they have. 
And so I watched it really just taking in what was there. And it really is an absolute mess. We get mm. character introductions and reintroductions for that first chunk of the movie. And then once they get to the city and they're walking across the movie, it's like one long scene that just goes on for like an hour and a half. I, yeah, that's true. I also, and I won't spend too much time on Suicide Squad, but I also was really paying attention to Harley because in my mind I was like, well, that's one of the things that they got right. But I'm looking at the character here. I don't know what the point, what we're, what we're supposed to get from the Harley character other than she's crazy, which is repeated a number of times throughout the film. I don't know that there, maybe I'm just missing something, but I, I don't know what point they're really trying to make about the character. Well, in the trailers, right, you see, oh, they're going to do Mad Love, right? You see Dr. Holly and Quinzel and the joke. I'm like, oh, that, because that is the core of that character. Now, they've they've drifted quite a ways away from that in these days. And, you know, that your mileage may vary. But that character, you know, was in, it came out of that Batman Animated Series, written by Paul Dini, wrote Mad Love, the definitive origin. That's what makes that character so interesting because she is a, a, a psychologist who thinks, oh, the Joker is going to be my ticket to the top. And then he turns that around on her, makes, I mean, that's, that entire relationship is so fascinating. And I was so excited to finally see it because, you know, Heath Ledger is such a definitive performance. What do you do now with the Joker? Cause you have Jack Nicholson definitive Heath Ledger definitive, very different versions. How do you, how do you do a third one? Oh, obviously Harley Quinn, because she's become such a character now, but oh, to your point, like what we, we, we need her with a baseball bat to fight uh, these monsters. <laughs> Why did you recruit her? I know pitting Margaret these... Robbie, great casting, but never it just never fit hit the full potential of what could have been. And you see that you see snippets, but it's just not enough. Yeah, the, the film struggled to introduce and juggle those characters. There's selection of characters. I'm you know, no offense to Killer Croc, but come on. And pitting this team against this supernatural antagonist, there there was so much about it that just felt off to me. And especially going back to what I was saying before about context, seeing what we would later get with the Suicide Squad, which was a vastly more effective presentation of this this no group question. and this kind of dynamic. Uh, it just, I, you know, again, I can't help but take that into account. And I also, the idea of trying to cram in Joker and Harley and their story on top of everything else just feels ill-advised. And the last thing that I will say, and I, I want to get your, your reaction to this as well. I, so, I remain open-minded. I, I do genuinely hope that at some point the Ayer cut sees the light of day. Why not? And I do as well. We would be curious well. and we would do episodes on it and we'd, we'd have fun and <laughs> that would be great. And look, we've seen an instance where a director claimed to have a better version of the film and it eventually came out and whoa, it actually was a really different version of the film. So I want to be open-minded. However, and I don't say this to be mean, but I, I'm skeptical that the air cut of Suicide Squad is uh, lives up to what has been claimed. And again, I could be totally wrong. I hope to be wrong. I would love to do an episode in a couple of years and be like, oh, guys, man, this movie was incredible. David Ayer was right. He really did have something that was dark and moody and complex and juggled these characters brilliantly and gave us all their backstories in a very elegant manner. And the score was great. I don't, I just, I'm a little skeptical. Do you share that skepticism or are you a little more optimistic? I, I do. Uh, like I said, the, you know, Zack Snyder didn't get it up before Justice League came out and say F Marvel, right? Like David, I'm, I'm, I keep going back to that. Maybe that's unfair, but I that's burned into my brain. So I'm like, wow, maybe this guy's really got, got something because those trailers were great, right? 
especially those earlier trailers, but theoretically before it all got changed, much like much like Justice League. So, um, and you know, hey, I would be happy to say there's 17 movies now, and this one's better, right? Uh, but I, I feel like we, like as you said, the Suicide Squad, not at the top of my list, but far, far superior to this. Uh, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm about every alternate cut. I'm all, I'm all about it. Like if it's something I'm vaguely interested in and there's an alternate version or director's cut or whatever, I'm there. I want to see it. So I, I, despite all these extremely harsh words I'm saying about this film, uh, I would gladly see a director's cut. And I think, you know, and ultimately Anthony, I think the reason why it makes me so mad is because this, this is the, this was the third movie right 2016 the year of dc bvs we'll get there not for a while on this list but we'll get there um divisive very divisive dc needed to win this came out and made a lot of money but quality and box office do not equal each other and uh it really just sullied the reputation of dc moving forward and uh it just really got off to and, and i say i mean yes man it still came out in 2013 but that was before they even kind of had a a plan but this was a like we're going in this is our universe plan and like told to totally fumble it that's the the worst thing that could have happened uh and here we are you wonder what it, what the course would have looked like had wonder woman followed batman v superman wonder woman even for yeah. those who disliked bvs was a highlight that many people cited and of course that movie would come out after suicide squad and do really well but yes you wonder if it had come there and you also think about it like an album, right? If the cinematic universe is an album, you think about the flow, right? And how people are going to take this in. And yes, I think that was just poor. going back to this idea of mismanagement, the idea of slotting this movie in after BBS, not a great call. Okay. So that was your number 16, my number 15. So for me, my number 16, the theatrical version of Justice League, AKA Justice League, for a number of reasons, including, as I had said earlier, this idea of rewatchability, Short of finding some kind of angle that I wanted to do an episode about or my son when he gets older wanting to watch it or being paid to watch it, I would never put in this version of Justice League, this Frankenstein version of the film that featured multiple scenes, of course, shot, rewritten and, and shot by Joss Whedon. And it was just this bastardization of the film that was originally intended. And we know that now, having seen the intended version of the film. I don't want to sound just like sour grapes here. So if anyone's like, you mean there's nothing you like about Justice League? The scene between Bruce and Alfred, where Bruce is talking about how Superman is more human than Bruce. He lived in the world. He fell in love. Yes. He had a job. Yes. Sure. That's a nice scene. I like that scene. The race between Superman and Flash to me, makes no sense in the context of this world and this iteration of Superman. I don't buy for a second that he would care at all. This man just died and came back to life. I don't think he cares at all who's faster. But just as a DC fan in an absolute vacuum to see a live action race between the two of them or the start of one, it's still not as good as what we got on Smallville. And there was no Rascal Flats playing, so what were they even doing? But <laughs> but <laughs> as a DC fan, yes, there's some element that that feels cool when you see something like that. So in the interest of fairness, sure, a couple things here and there, but no, I would just never watch this. To me, this is, again, it's just this bastardized abomination of what was intended, this mishmash of tones. And not only that, there were new scenes shot, but just to see Snyder's footage recolored and cropped and all sorts of stuff, I just, I would never watch it again, absent any of those reasons that I said. So for me, 
that's at the absolute bottom. You know, when you said rewatchability was part of criteria, I was thinking, oh, yeah, well, why would I want to watch you know, The Flash again, right? Uh, <laughs> um, but that's a fantastic point. Like, I, why would I ever watch this ever again? Uh, I don't know. Uh, like you said, some podcasting angle, perhaps some, but it's, it's fascinating. Like to, uh, you know, I work in multimedia, I have a radio TV film degree. So like, I like this, this is such a, I really hope like they teach courses about this one day because it's like, here's the raw material. If you go this way, this is what you get. If you go that way, that's what you get. Now, of course I would never want have wanted this to happen, but now that it's here, you know, let's, Let's make the most of it. Let's make lemonade out of these lemons and 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 explore this. Um, Justice League is actually thirteen on my list. Uh, when it came out, I was like, "Well, I mean, Superman's back. That's good." And you know, like I, I don't know. Like I, I was, I, 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 I liked it more when it came out. Very much so, more uh, than I do now. Um, but that was a time when I was like, "Wow, the cyborg was cool. I hope we see more of him." I can't wait to see the Batfleck movie. Like I was like, okay, I guess we're coming back now. Like I, I had expected more from these characters. I assumed, hey, the next Wonder Woman will be coming up, and uh, you know, I can't wait for uh, another Superman movie now. Like I thought, okay, we, we did this, and it wasn't great. I mean, it, uh, yeah, but um, uh, you could definitely, and the seams were always there. Like the the CGI face. I, I remember the opening shot of the film being CGI Henry Cavill because you had, we'd all heard about it, right? Again, I'm I can't help but talk about behind the scenes stuff. Because it's just part of it, right? To, to hear these rumors of, yes, Henry Cavill did reshoots and Paramount would not let him shave his mustache. And you're like, what's this going to look like? And then literally the first shot of the film is him. And, and then my friend I went with, he was like, oh, no. Because <laughs> <laughs> it looks so bad. It looks so bad. And um, I can't believe. I can't believe they approved that. Like it, it just it's it baffles the mind that they released that, and it looks it's a joke as it should be as it should be. Now there's there are little things in here that I like, but but like there, there's probably a handful. I could probably like okay, there's like five things you mentioned. One of them it's a great scene between Bruce and Alfred talking about Superman. Now a lot of the way they talk and handle Superman, it's like are you talking about the Superman of this universe or like just the g general Superman? Because when he shows up, he's uh, he's talking like. 1938 Superman, right? <laughs> like he's, you know, and like the, I'm also a big fan of justice. I'm like, was that supposed to be general? Would you care to step outside? Because that was not that. And then, and then the themes, last thing I'll say on this, I was excited that, oh, Danny Elfman, he's going to bring back the Batman theme. He, you know, and I saw an interview with him where he said, well, there's only one Batman theme. And I'm like, oh yeah, I, I love your theme, Danny Elfman. It's kind of a conceited thing to say, but you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing your music again in the theater. And then I like I barely hear it. It's like in two scenes, you could barely hear it. And then he brings back the John Williams Superman theme, but plays it out of key when he's fighting the Justice League. And I'm just I'm like, dude, if you're gonna do it, do it. But don't like half-ass it. But that's the name of the game with this movie. Um, so yeah, I've had a journey with this movie, and I guess what it was because I mean you can go back and listen to me and Lance and talk about, oh yeah, okay, all right, DC, I guess we're back. Here we go for more stuff. And I and really thinking about it in retrospect, I think it's because I was like, okay. I expected that we were just going to continue on with more now. And I didn't realize that, no, that was it. Yes. No, that, that's that, where I am with it now. Honestly, I think we've had similar journeys. You know, we, we didn't know each other then, but I think we were on similar tracks because in fairness, I did come out of that 
initial viewing of Justice League feeling pretty good about the movie. I didn't obviously know all of the behind the scenes business that had unfolded uh, and how and how much Snyder's version of the film had been corrupted. But like yourself, it, it felt like, okay, they're, they, they are attempting this, this course correction, but now we're quote unquote on track towards something. And in retrospect, we know, nope, that really wasn't the case. But what, what just bugs me about it is, is that aspect of course correction where you see such a clear effort to try to remedy what some of the criticisms had been about the Snyder films and the depiction of Superman in particular. And the whole, yes, like you said, I like truth, but I'm a big fan of justice. Dun, dun, dun. Like, great example of that. And it's just not what I was looking for. And again, that's why it's it's at the bottom of my list. So, Aw oh, Yeah Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, a.k.a. my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have kids and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join All Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit allyeahcomics.com and follow All Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Say it with me now. All Yeah! Filmmakers and movie fans alike should be sure to attend these film festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and Round Reel in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Take it from an alum of two of them. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts available via a shared universe network. All right, so you're number 15. My number 15, and I rewatched some films recently, as you did. Uh, to kind of get some clarity, um, especially ones I only seen once at the theater. Uh, uh, and my number 15 is The Flash. Oh. <laughs> okay. The greatest superhero movie of all time, The Flash. Um, this thing had red flags across the board. I never level. We've talked about it, right? I did a Superman special on, on Always Someone Small with it. D-Ron, we had a lot of fun talking about it. Phil, we talked a lot about like the flashpoint and how that would have been better than the actual movie. And that's what a lot of our conversation came from. But yeah, like if you're going to base some off the source material and then remove everything that made that so special, then what are you doing? And that's a huge, there's a lot of problems with the flash. Uh, but I think it all goes, it, it starts with you want to tell the flashpoint story, but you took out every element of it that made it like a powerful story. And just, and then it just becomes time travel, gobbledygook, nonsense, quote unquote fan service because i think and i messaged some friends about this after i watched it i was like you know what the when i rewatched it i was like you know what the funniest thing about this movie is when they made this thing they thought they really cooked <laughs> they were like man like we nailed it like michael keaton and cgi christopher reeve and these Ezra Miller's hilarious and there's two of them and it's like no this is this is not good at all I, is this what you think I want like I get offended as an audience member when you show me this you're like this is what you guys want right no this is not what I want it's it's nonsense and um I mean we talked about it it's a relatively recent film that came out this year so 
would I ever watch this again anytime soon? Absolutely not. Talking about rewatchability, because I just, when you tell me, Anthony, they're bringing about Michael Keaton as Batman, something I've wanted since I was a kid. Batman Returns and Batman were part of my childhood. I would have rather him never come back than do this, because I felt like, honestly, it's what did, what did you have to say for that character? And to your point about Justice League, you can see the seams all over it. Right? My, my point, we both said it, right? You, you, you see the seams all over it. Um, it's clearly reshot many times, you know, bad, bad special effects, bad special effects. Uh, and then the, what is, where's the, what does the arc go? Right. I mean, like Supergirl, you introduce Supergirl and she dies a thousand times. and You never see her again. Oh, and then they kill off Michael Keaton's Batman cause he's fighting, uh, non, is that non in the DCEU? I don't know. Is it, does anybody know But you know, he's in Man of Steel, the big, he's like this. I didn't want to see Michael Keaton come back and fight Kryptonians in the desert in the middle of the day. All right. I wanted to become Batman Beyond, Dying Returns. There's literally a hundred things you could do with him. Uh, and I, I'm actually, I'm shocked that he came back for this. You turned out Batman Forever and you'd say yes to the Flash. Bizarre to me. Um, and then ultimately, real world stuff aside, right? But, but that is important. But real world stuff aside, Ezra Miller, I just don't like watching Ezra Miller as this character and especially not two of them, right? I mean... Zack Snyder did a lot of good casting. I don't count Ezra Miller as one of those good castings. And this is, that's that's ironic. They're st- <laughs> they try so hard to get away from Snyder, but they're stuck with some of these <laughs> casting decisions. Um, it's just not, it's not Barry Allen to me. Some quirky dude, and he's got black hair. Not not to be all like, he has to look just like the comics, but like, I don't know. So the, there's some thoughts, and that's why it's so low. And it's a very unenjoyable watch. Oh, oh, sorry. One last thing, I'm sorry. Um, the opening yeah the opening sequence of the hospital and the babies and 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 wonder woman showing up for two minutes it's embarrassing it's a it's a parody of itself i cannot believe that these definitive versions of these characters i love batfleck i love gagadot's wonder woman to see them like this it just makes me sad it makes me sad that we've come to this and uh, that's why the flash is so low on my list. I don't disagree with anything you've said. You might be surprised, and I'm actually a little surprised myself where I landed with the flash. Not too far apart, but it's my number 12. But when we okay. talk about 13 and 14, I think it will become clear why I landed where I did. But I don't disagree uh, with the anything. flash went down on my rewatch. So I can that doesn't that doesn't like I'm not I'm not blown away and want to fight you because that's your number 12, because I can see how Mike a little higher. But upon closer inspection, it did drop for me. I know I do understand. I think. Like I said, this was one of the ones I wanted to rewatch because I did come in hot to that recording after I watched the movie for the first time and was really genuinely annoyed by so much about it. And I wanted to watch it with a cooler head and see how I felt. And I will say all of the criticisms that I levied against it in that episode that I did, and also the one that I did with you on your show, I stand behind. I'm not sitting here being like, oh, you know, it was a lot better than I thought. No, all of the things that we have taken it to task for, I still feel are totally justified. I guess I wasn't as, maybe because there was no shock value this time. Like I wasn't I, I still don't care for the baby in the microwave bit, but I wasn't, there wasn't that shock value. Like, oh my God, I can't believe they're doing this. I was like, okay, I know what to expect. I know how they fumble their multiverse imagery with the CGI video game look. So I, it, it I guess made it slightly more palatable. And I tried to, try to focus on Barry's emotional journey and the business with his mother. And that's 
really one of the only spots where I feel like the, the movie has something. So again, I, I came away maybe a little less fired up, but still feeling the same way that I did before. It, it's not a strong entry, but divorcing it from all of that business about this is the best movie you're ever going to see, maybe that just softened my my stance <laughs> on it a little bit. I agree with you about Ezra Miller, and that was the thing, not that I was surprised rewatching it, but it hit me more than the first time where I'm just like, it, this is a lot of Ezra Miller. This movie is just Ezra Miller talking to Ezra Miller. It's like, and it gets tedious after a while. I, my wife was watching it with me and it was her first viewing. She fell asleep and I, <laughs> I found myself uh, getting a little drowsy at points too. It's, 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 it's a lot of Ezra Miller. And to your larger point about the casting, I feel like it's gotten worse with Ezra Miller's depiction of the flash. I, I don't, I feel like they've really leaned into this nervous energy and these ticks way more than we had we, initially seen. We have to remember that Zack Snyder cast Ezra Miller to be in Zack Snyder's justice league, which is by far the best version of this flash. So any actor under a certain director under a certain uh, direction and approach can do certain things. Right. But Justice League, it was like uh, it was like the whole brunch thing, all that's like okay. And then it's like they doubled down on that version with this. I'm like, no, 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 no. Um, even when they mentioned Zack Snyder's Justice League as being canon, right? Um, you know the best the best scene of, of uh, the Flash to me is the Batfleck scene in the alleyway. It's such a great message. He's like, you know, uh, uh, you're not broken. You don't need to be fixed. Our scars define us, right? I'm like, that's a great message. But what is? But that doesn't carry through the rest of the film. No. Right. It's just so strange to me that he doesn't learn his lesson. He moves, he moves the cans and his dad gets out. But then we see George Clooney and that's, and his tooth falls out. I'm like, <laughs> what are we doing? Yeah. No, so, I mean, here's the thing. Oh, I can't, man. like, I want to be clear. I'm not <laughs> sitting here defending the movie. It's at the most I could say is I hated it slightly less <laughs> on rewatch. But uh, yeah, no, it it, it, yeah. It, it, it is not a win at all. So, all right. That was your number 15. It's my number 12. Uh, we've already had my 15 with Suicide Squad. So your number 14. My number 14, which which moved up upon rewatch, because right, I did rewatch this one as well. Wonder Woman 1984. And, you know, the I can only tell you why it's over The Flash, because I'd rather watch Gal Gadot and Chris Pine instead of Ezra Miller and Ezra Miller. Like, there it is. Like, th there it is, right? And Pedro Pascal, even though Maxwell Lord's plot is nonsensical and there's no rules to this movie, he's entertaining. The dude's doing something, right? And I enjoy seeing him doing his thing on screen. Um, and that's why it's, like, right there. Like I said before, I've made this definitive list that we just made. Uh, it was lower than The Flash, honestly, because it's just, man, what a, what a drop-off. Like, I remember... Um, watching it when it came out on HBO max. I've said this before on podcast, but like uh, me and my now wife and uh, we're watching it. She loved the first wonder woman and you know, Lance came over and, you know, my best friend Lance, you guys know him from the, from the always on small. He's on the, always on those podcasts. We all watched it together on HBO max. And we're about an hour in my wife turns to us and she's like, you guys know this sucks, right? Like, yeah, we know <laughs> <laughs> we know it's bad. Um, and it just, it's, it's like, the no excuse thing we said earlier that applies to this film in every way. Patty Jenkins is back. Gal Gadot is back. Chris Pine is back for some reason. I really was, I gave them the benefit of the doubt. I'm like, Oh no, they, they, they're smarter than that. 
they'll handle it correctly. They did not. Um, and it's just, I cannot believe the same people who, who saw, who saw the response to the first film and everybody loved it and it made so much money. And this isn't like a course correction thing. This is like, oh, let's do something different just for the hell of it. And it's like, no, don't do something different. Do what you did before, please. This is we went from Batman 89 to Batman and Robin in one film. And I've, I've never seen a franchise drop off that quickly. It's it just boggles the mind how we got here. And and I don't Wonder Woman was was their breakout character. And they completely ruined the whole thing in the inner in sequel. Agreed. So it was your number 14. It's my number 13. So we're very close. And I, I echo all of the same reasons. Going back to what we were saying before about context, to to have that drop off is really, it's so unforgivable. I think the only reason for me that it's not lower is that I guess I can appreciate some degree of ambition that they displayed in setting it in the 80s and trying to tell a different story as opposed to because look, they could have done the first movie was World War One. They could have done a World War Two sort of thing. They prop in retrospect, they probably should have. <laughs> but absolutely. But <laughs> just as a preliminary matter, the idea of okay, we're not going to do the expected thing. We're going to aim for something a little different. I, I like you said. I mean, I love the the dynamic between the two of them when they're flying through the sky with the fireworks. That's nice. The the ultimate sacrifice that she has to make of giving up her love. Sure, that works well enough. But the rest of it is just, it's such a mess. Uh, I'm still not entirely clear on Max Lord's power, what that was really all, all, about, all about, what the what the exact rules of that were. Uh, and I've watched it a couple of times. Also, the way in which she's ultimately able to defeat him. I know they were in a tough spot because we already had a neck snap in one of these movies, so they couldn't follow the comics. But yeah. really, that's what should have happened in this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and... It's still it's still mind boggling to me that not that they brought Steve Trevor back or Steve or Chris Pine back. Sure, I figured they'd work him in somehow, but to have his character inhabit the body of a living being in the film in this day and age, I just don't understand how no one, unless someone raised it and someone above them said, No, don't worry about it. But it's it's shocking to me when you think about the number of people who have to sign off on something like this. <laughs> the fact that no one was like, uh, this is kind of problematic. Also, it's so unnecessary because you could have just made it that he's just back. I don't understand why his soul had yes. to inhabit someone else's body and she just sees it. It was so weird. It's just needlessly convoluted. It's like, that's something you do if <laughs> you can't get the actor back and then, but you, only show the new guy like it's like no you had everyone back like it's it's so apparently they thought oh it'd be fun to do like the quantum leap thing in the mirror and rewatching it I, I looked at that scene very closely you don't see the quantum leap thing in the mirror you don't see it because quantum leap is a tv show from 80s and 90s scott bakula famous from star trek enterprise and ncis right for those of you don't know right the plot of that was he's leaping through time and a lot of the fun was he's in somebody else's body, right? And he look at a mirror and he'd see himself. He see he see a different actor. And you have to kind of mind what they're doing in this film. In that scene, like you don't see them both in the same shot. You see over his shoulder. I'm like, you don't even get the whole effect. Part of the fun is seeing two guys in one shot, kind of miming each other. Um, it's crazy to me. This is such a first draft story. Like it's frustrating because like I look at this, I'm like, you know what? There's something here. Like if you have the whole thing where she has the, um. She gets the 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 powers. The what do you call it? The, the kingdom come suit. 
you know, that she has. We, we saw that in the imagery. Oh, wow, this is really going to be something. Gets ripped apart in five minutes by the cheetah, right? I thought, oh, she's losing her powers, so she has to use that to, like, no, that's not a plot line at all. She gets her powers back and then gets the suit. And she can fly. Ridiculous. Like, a, another, I, I'm all about continuity. This just thumbs us nose of continuity from the DCEU about with her being a public figure and her flying around. And then not to mention the global ramifications of everyone having to make a wish and undo a wish. Like there should have just been a big fat reset button at the end where nobody remembered anything problem solved, but that's not what they did. Like it's bizarre. I could go on and on. I, no, that's the thing. Like they I'm made, just so mad because I love the first one. <laughs> that's the thing. It's like they made so many unnecessary problems for themselves. It's, it's really kind of astounding. So, yeah. It's the one, this is the phrase I've always used. I've never been blindsided by a movie like this, I think, ever. Like, just, like, I had no indication. Like, the trailers were great, too. You know? And I'm like, okay, I have faith that they're going to do this. Well, and, oh, oh, last thing. I'm sorry, I'm going on and on. But Kristen Wiig, good actress, right? Totally miscast as Cheetah. Why are we doing Selena Kyle and Edward Dingbo, <laughs> right, from the Burton and Schumacher Batman movies as this character? Bizarre choices. Bizarre choices. Yeah. I too remember watching it over Christmas when it came out. And this was this was early throes of the pandemic. We're not going out, not doing much. You would think that having this new superhero movie, we would just be about it no matter what it was. It's a new movie to watch. I remember just being so bored. I remember pausing it and realizing we were only at like the halfway point. And I was like, oh my God. And that's one of the things that these movies should should never be as boring. And I found that this one was. And the last thing I will say, and then I promise we'll go to my number 14, is I just, I hated what they did to her character. This idea that she was so heartbroken that she withdrew from, from having a, a, a personal life. I mean, she had a job, but she didn't cultivate any interpersonal relationships, even just friendships, seemingly, for decades I mean, we're like 70 years here. It's, And I get this romantic notion that she had this experience with Steve Trevor and it was so profound and she's so heartbroken, but come on, you got to give the character a little bit more integrity. If this had been set in World War II, okay, <laughs> but come on. Yeah, it'd be 15 years before or whatever, more than that. But yeah, the fact that like, it's almost, it, it becomes the point of parody where she's like looking at a plane and sitting at a table and someone's like, oh, is someone joining you? No. Wants to share a cab and the guy offers, she's like, no. It's just like, what are you, what are you trying to say? Like, there is no way that she would be, be this. That, that's a huge disservice to the character, frankly, to say that she would be so broken as a person for 80 years because of this guy. And even he's like, hey, man, you got to be like Steve Trevor knows in the movie. He's like, you got to move on. You know, so anyway. Yeah, that was just a, a misfire on every level, Anthony. Yeah, that Ugh. was a whiff. Well, speaking of, uh, so that was your 14, my number 13, my number 14, Shazam Fury of the Gods. Okay. The sequel to Shazam. And for largely the same reasons, the first Shazam movie is pretty high on my list. I enjoyed it a lot. I thought it had heart. It was very endearing. It was a lot of fun. I thought they struck a great balance. I should save these thoughts for when we get to that movie, but I thought they struck a great balance between Billy the Kid and Shazam, the adult superhero. And in this sequel, they they just lost that thread. We barely see young Billy. It's just the Zachary Levi show. And not unlike what we saw with the Ezra Miller depiction of The Flash, I feel like in this sequel, they just leaned into the, the sillier, worst tendencies of Levi's performance. 
and I just found it grating. I also could not care less about the antagonists in this film. I'm not the biggest expert when it comes to Captain Marvel, Shazam lore, but there's there are others out there. <laughs> there are other villains out there that I would have been happy. I can to think see. of a bit of I can think of a bigger one, Anthony. I don't know. <laughs> well, the hierarchy of our <laughs> list is about to change. <laughs> well, that's a whole other that's another piece to all of this. But I just I could not care less about the antagonists. And I also just felt that the tension they were trying to show in this movie, it felt so artificial, this idea that Billy is so worried about being cast out when he turns 18. Now, I'm sure for people who have been in the foster care system, I, I can certainly understand that would be a concern, but there is nothing that we have seen from that family that I feel would justify that. And it just felt so artificial, so forced, and even even taking away, because the first time I went into this, it was kind of all mixed up in Zachary Levi's interviews that he was doing this red-faced, that red-faced Instagram live where he talks about how they were, and I'll never forget well, this. It's a family movie. It's fun. Yeah. This whole <laughs> thing, we were thwarted. We were thwarted. We wanted the JSA in the post credit scene, but we were thwarted, and we had to use the Peacemaker cast instead. <laughs> I'm just like, you got, you got to relax, buddy. So even, so I was a, so putting that aside and just looking at the movie in and of itself, I just, you know, you've got that, uh, unnecessary shoehorned in Wonder Woman cameo. I just, there's, there's, for me, there really wasn't much redeeming about this. What I do want to say, and this goes back to the disclaimer I issued at the beginning. I know, I, you know, I heard from people, people I know when this came out who went with their family to see it and they had a good time. And I've said this on some podcasts before, but I'll reiterate it now. Like my son's four, if he were 10 and we went to see this and he laughed and he had a good time, I would think this is a great movie. Like, I think the Super Mario Brothers movie is excellent for that reason, because we went and we had a great time and I will forever be indebted to that movie for creating that kind of, it was his first time at the movies. We had a great time. So for anyone who's like, Hey, like we went as a family, we had fun. We enjoyed it. Awesome. I get it. But that was not my experience. And I really dislike this movie. So that's my number 14. Where did it land for you? Slightly higher. Uh, Shazam Fear of the Gods is number 11 okay. for me. Uh, it is jumped up now. So so the, the first, everything we've talked about so far has been in my, my bottom tier. We're we're now in the lower middle tier where it's like, well, eh, yeah, to various degrees, right? So uh, there is one in between here that we haven't talked about yet. We'll get to. But for me, Shazam Fear of the Gods, it, um, I, and I love the first Shazam. Very high on my list. We'll get there. I, I get everything you said. Perfect balance, and we'll save that for that part of the conversation. But bizarre that the um, Billy Batson was a very strong part of that first movie, and they just ignore him. He literally, if you added the screen time, less than ten minutes. Right? Uh, Freddie was great in this, though. Like it should have been a Freddie movie. Like the, the Adam Brody and the and the kid actor, who I'm sorry, his name escapes me. Those those guys embody each other. I can see them as the same character. He's even more like Captain Marvel-esque, like Captain Marvel Jr. You know, but I can't call him whatever he's called in these movies. Um, can we, can, can the, could they have been Captain Marvel, please? Like that's, they have a more compelling story. Like I, I, when, when your hero is like one of the worst parts of your movie, you got problems. And that's, that's the, that's the thing here. And it's just, there is no correlation between these two characters. Like it's, it's, it's like, I, I remember reading some of the reviews. It's like, were these two guys, have they even met? <laughs> Do they even know? How they, and I put that all on Zachary Levi and the and the and the director Frank because and I like David Sandberg. He did such a great job. But the first one, again, no excuse. I don't know what went wrong. I didn't I didn't mind the original villains as much. I think 
think Helen Marin did the best she could with what she's trying to bring something to it. You know, Lucy Liu totally phoned it in though, like totally phoned it in. Um, but again, bizarre that these are these are like Wonder Woman villains, right? Like, why are they fight? You would you would think right? Th- this would fit that world more than him. And uh, and I think th- this. So I, I mentioned a one-two punch earlier. This is a one-two punch of the Wonder Woman cameos, completely just just pulling the plug on that character. It was on life support after Wonder Woman 1984, and you get these shoot-in cameos where the theme song has now become a meme and a joke to people. I remember people saying, like, if I hear that ever again in the theater, walking out, <laughs> just because, like, it was so, oh, yeah, let's throw her in there, to the point where they threw her into the marketing material. Again, talking about behind-the-scenes stuff, but it's so strange, like, this was like a big reveal, and I thought, I, I guess they thought, oh, the numbers are low. Let's let's show them Wonder Woman. Well, sorry, guys, you already ruined her. And her sequel, so that's really not going to get people excited. Um, but yeah, they, they everything they just missed it. They just missed everything that was going on with the first one, and it's and like like Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four is just I I don't understand. I don't understand how you go from a very well received movie and just change courses. You know, there, we talk a lot about reactionary and changing courses from WB, but like when you have something that's working, why you do something so different? And that's what that's what this movie unfortunately was. I it's. And I know you, you and you mentioned Lance and you guys have talked about this. It's like anytime like, they can make the wrong call, they do. It's like they just always take the wrong lessons. It's like, oh, people didn't really like this. Let's do something else that they also end up won't, won't, won't like in the end. Uh, but also it's like they did like this. Well, well, let's do something different. It's like, what are you guys doing? And yeah, the marketing. I know that's not. You know, we're evaluating the movie itself, but the marketing piece is like a studio at war with itself. It's like, what are you guys doing? Yeah. The uh, um, I, I will slightly defend it where it's like I, I feel like there's there's a, there's still some of that family stuff, the adoptive family and Mary Marvel and her struggle. Again, all the supporting characters are way better than Shazam. Like Mary Marvel, uh, Captain Thunderfingers Junior. Everything, whatever his name is, this <laughs> is Shazam Junior. Um. I love seeing Digimon Hansu back. Got to, I mean, it made no sense. I don't. Uh, they didn't really explain why he was back. I like seeing him back. He had more to do. Uh, it's great. But th- so, so to me, like, there's enough, and that's why it's a little higher than the other one. We'll get to in a second because there's enough of that stuff I love from the first one that's still in here, where it just totally doesn't. To me, although it was frustrating, it doesn't totally torpedo and ruin the whole thing the way Wonder Woman '84 did the first Wonder Woman. If that makes sense. No, I hear you. I, I think that's all fair. I think for me kind of what you were getting at between Flash and Wonder Woman, like the reason I put Wonder Woman above Shazam, not to be superficial, but it's like, if I'm going to spend two hours with watching either Gal Gadot or Zachary Levi, I'm not going with Zachary Levi. Honestly, like, I mean, to be totally honest, that's a factor here. If I had to watch one or, one or two of them, I'm like, oh, okay, I would, rather, I would rather watch her. So yeah, that was my number 14. Uh, and that was 11 for you. So we have to go back. What was your, well, can I guess was your number 12? What can I, yeah, let me guess just for this one. Uh, was your number 12 yeah. Birds of Prey? It was. Okay. So, or the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn. Okay. So, this is interesting. So, that's your number 12. It's my number 11. So, our bottom six are the okay. same, just slightly different orders. But our bottom six, we, there we it picked is. the same. All right. Maybe, maybe we have two similar tastes to be doing this. <laughs> the two of us. Maybe. <laughs> you know what? Here's, here's the thing. And I, I, here, because there might be someone listening to this and be like, well, should have brought in somebody who like doesn't like the Snyder movies. I, I'm kind of past the point of <laughs> trying to debate or defend them. I totally get there are 
huge groups of people who just don't like those movies. And that's totally fine. Like I don't, I've gotten to the point where like, I enjoy those movies. I get something out of them. If someone else doesn't, I wish they would, but I don't, I don't need to have that debate. So I'm, yeah. I'm happy to have you here. <laughs> gotcha. I'm happy to be here, but yeah, number, uh, my number 12 birds of prey. Um, this is a tough one. This is in the range where I'm like, it's, it's, it's like, it's not for me, but I understand why people like it. And it's got a voice. It's got a, some clarity to it. Um, as far as what they were going for. Right. I mean, this is, this takes kind of the same, a lot of stuff they tried in suicide squad, that didn't work works here with like all these introductions of characters and, you know, the Huntress shows up and the, the whole, here's the Hunter, that kind of stuff. Uh, Margot Robbie. I mean, we, I think she's, she's one of these, it's this actress character pairing. We're like on paper, like this is going to be awesome. And it is fine, but it's like, I, I never feel like it reaches full potential. Probably because I mentioned it, Suicide Squad. They just cut out the core of where this character came from. Although this movie is about her getting over the Joker. We didn't really ever see them together to begin with. So you don't really feel like, I feel like she already was kind of emancipated to quote the title. Um, and then of course the movie's called Birds of Prey for some reason. And yes, I know Huntress is in it. And I know that uh, Black Canary is in it. But you know who's not a member of the Birds of Prey is Harley Quinn. I don't understand. Um, and of course, there's no Batgirl. There's no Barbara Gordon. And those, I mean, they're the Birds of Prey. Like, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Like, well, they give us Cassandra. They give us Cassandra Kane, though she's not Batgirl. In oh, well, man. they give us a character named Cassandra Kane. I am very unfamiliar with uh, with that, but I know. Uh, again, shout out to Lance Laster. Very familiar with that character. That's his favorite Batgirl. Uh, very upset with their interpretation of Cassandra Kane because it's like, this isn't even give that. Can we be the eighties again and just make up characters for movies and do that? And not, not again, yeah, that would have been preferable to just slapping on a, a comic book name because who's that, who's that going to appeal to people that don't know who it is. It's not going to matter. People that do know who it is. are gonna be like, Whoa, why did you ruin that character? Perfect. No, um, I, I think that's, I think that hits the nail on the head when, with, with, with this. So this was one that we, I, my wife and I saw it in theaters and this was like end of or early 2020. So right before the pandemic. So it was, it was literally the last movie we saw before everything shut down, came out of it, not really being too hot on it. Rewatched it for the Patreon show. And I was like, you know what? Like you said, for what it is and what it's aiming for, I think it does it fairly well. And what I actually came to appreciate about it was the low, the relatively low stakes. So many of these movies Right, are all about saving the Earth, the timeline, or universe, multiverse. And it could get a little tedious after a while. I like that this was far more grounded and personal and they're going up against Black Mask. I agree. I think it did a better job juggling the characters. It's no masterpiece, but it gets in, it gets out. It's fun. Again, I think the group dynamic works well. I think the biggest problem that I had and continue to have is, is what you've already gotten at, the non-traditional depictions of these characters. Like Cassandra Kane's a perfect example. She's a mute assassin in the comics and <laughs> she's not that at all in here. And I, it's, I generally speaking, I don't always consider myself like such a comic book purist. Like it's gotta be like, but at the same time you want it to feel grounded in something from the source material. And that was a problem I had here. And even just from the jump, like you said, Harley Quinn, not a part of the birds of prey. Although Around the time of the movie, they put out a mini a black label miniseries by Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor, and it was Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey. So, so there is comic book not precedent, but we now have something in the comics that 
features this sort of configuration. But that was something that I bumped up against because I was a big fan of the Birds of Prey comics specifically. I missed the boat when it first came out and Chuck Dixon was writing it, but uh, the Gail Simone run is what really got me on mm. board with Birds of Prey. And I read it for years and I really enjoyed it. And I, I liked that group dynamic. And so to see, again, this different configuration, this different take on certain characters, like Black Canary, this whole idea for being a singer, there was a relatively recent comic run, I, I was going back just a few years, where she was the singer in a rock band or whatnot. So, you know, there was some precedent for that, but it, it also wasn't, but it still wasn't the Black Canary that I was familiar with from the comic. And I'm not talking yeah. about the race aspect that I was totally cool with. And I love uh, Journey Smollett, but more just the overall depiction. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the biggest problem. But if I can kind of just take a back, you know, just kind of take a step back from that. It's, it's an enjoyable movie. And like I said, for what it aspires to do, I think it mostly succeeds. So that's my, uh, yeah, 11. that's the key. It's, it's not my speed, right? I'm Matt Truix, you know, a good friend of mine. He's been on the show. You guys know him, uh, host of always on DC's legends of tomorrow, uh, loves this movie, right? He loves the birds of prey. He loves the birds of prey TV show, right? He was all about it. I was like, yeah, we did a podcast about it. And it came out and I was like, yeah, I didn't really like it that much. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he was because he was so enthusiastic. I felt bad being like, I don't know, man, what are they doing for me? But I can see how it is for some people. Like it has, like I said, it has a, it has a, I don't know, a language, a style, an angle to these characters more so than a lot of some of these other movies do because they seem to kind of aimless. And and so you, it's either you pick it up, you pick up where they put them down, or you don't. And uh, there's some great, like like the the jailbreak sequence is great, where she's shooting beanbags at people and doing stuff like that's that's great Harley Quinn stuff. And and hey, Emo Gregor, like surprisingly good, is a really weird whack mask. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, and as far as speaking its language, when I did my episode on it, I had a guest uh, shout out to Douglas, and he talked about how within the gay community, this is something that resonated and and people were fond of it so like you're saying i think yeah maybe it, this wasn't necessarily for for us specifically 100 percent, but there's an audience for it and we can appreciate aspects of it so yeah i i uh it was it, it's it's solid it was how do i put this it was sort of the somewhat of a line of demarcation where it was the last of the good ones, so to speak. And the ones that came after this were really yeah. my, like my bottom tier and was sorting out. It's exactly the same. Fell. Yeah. Same for me, even though mine is one lower than you, same exact, there's the line there and then everything else after that, I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> All right. So let's really quick recap. So from 16 to 11 for you, it's suicide squad, flash, wonder woman, 84 justice league, birds of prey, fury of the gods. For me, it's justice league, suicide squad, fury of the gods, wonder woman, 84 flash and birds of prey. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and under new ownership since 2020, Moose sells a wide selection of comics from every publisher and time period, along with action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany the next time you're in the Garden State, and be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. I'm a proud backer of the Paragons of Earth crowdfunder. The creative team of Percival Constantine, Thomas DJ, and Eric Johns have plucked forgotten Golden Age superheroes from the public domain, reinvented them as their own sort of Justice League, and put them up against a Lovecraftian apocalypse. Support this project by going to crowdfunder.com, that's crowdfunder without an E, slash Paragons comic, and read a free sample. Also, Perry, who's been a guest on the show, hosts the Superhero Cinephiles podcast about superheroes in media. Be sure to listen wherever you get podcasts. All right. 
your number 10. My number 10. The Suicide Squad. Okay. I enjoyed it. It was fine. It was very clear that DC was like, hey, James Gunn, you know what you did with Guardians of the Galaxy? We tried to do that with the first Suicide Squad movie, but we had already made it, so it was harder to do. But now, you can make our own Guardians of the Galaxy. Can you do that? He's like, yeah, I can do that. And look, it, it's fun. There's a lot of fun stuff in this. Um, because of the Peacemaker show, which we talked about on, on your Patreon, I, I, I do it. I've kind of maybe enjoy it more, even though it's ranking, it's still right kind of near bottom middle for me. Um, Starro, right? No, no idea what James Gunn is going to give you a live action Starro. I'll tell you that. And uh, and I'll say this. This is a hot take, I bet. I think Margot Robbie is at her best as Harley Quinn in the Suicide Squad. Agreed. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. We're we're a little far apart on this. This was another one that surprised I surprised myself a little bit. This is number seven for me. Okay. Which is higher see, than see, we can disagree on the wheel. We have gaps in the rankings. And I'll say it, it ultimately came, I think, for two reasons. One, and maybe this is actually a little bit unfair because we are just looking at the movies themselves, but I really did enjoy Peacemaker. We had a great conversation about it. I I went in really skeptical and I came away enjoying it a ton. And so I think in retrospect, that gave me a little bit more appreciation for this configuration of the Suicide Squad and Peacemaker himself in particular. So I think that colored it a little bit. I also just feel like it was, it doesn't speak to me as much as even maybe one or two movies below it. Doesn't necessarily speak to me in the same way, but I feel it's a more polished, well put together movie. And we've seen instances with some of these where you see the seams mm-hmm. or or things just aren't feeling cohesive or tonally co- consistent. And I feel like you see Gunn, the shorthand of James Gunn here, putting yeah. this movie together. And again, is am I first in line for a James Gunn movie? Yeah, not necessarily, but I like his stuff generally speaking. And again, you will I, be. I will be soon enough, <laughs> soon enough. Uh, actually, while we're here, this is a perfect opportunity for a patron question. So this came from Jan or Jan. I apologize. I don't know exactly how to pronounce it, but he said, have you seen Guardians of the Galaxy vol- Volume 3? I'd love to hear your take on it. It really gave me a ton of faith in Gunn as the guy for Superman, a much more emotional and sincere movie than his previous ones and a movie that made me cry several times. I finally did watch Volume 3 of Guardians very recently, I, I, I really was dragging my feet on it. I enjoyed it quite a lot. I didn't have that emotional experience that our patron is describing, though I understand why why people would. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot, I guess. Yeah, did it make me at least somewhat more optimistic about what Gunn can do with Superman? Sure. I, I, I you know, I, I, I think so. But I enjoyed it. What about you? Have you seen it now, right? I have not seen you it still yet. You still haven't seen it? Oh, I, okay. uh, I, I did never got around to it. And because I'm covering the MCU movies on, on my Patreon, I'm like, well, I'll just wait till we get there in the podcast because we, we uh, recently covered Guardians too. Uh, and I, I love the first Guardians. The first Guardians is like one of my favorite Marvel movies. It's fantastic. It hits you on the levels, maybe cry when Groot died. Right. And the second one, I'm like, okay, like it was, it was pretty good, but it wasn't like as good as the first one. And the third one, like I know people are, I know the reputation it has, and I'm looking forward to seeing it. Uh, but no, I, I, I cannot give you any insight there. Unfortunately, I have not seen it yet, but like, here's the thing. Like I know James Gunn is a talented guy. That's not the issue. Like the, if, if there even is an issue, excuse me, but, you know, with, like, with my lack of like, 
uh, gung-ho enthusiasm for Superman Legacy, as people might have picked up on listening to me talk about these things. I just like, I don't know, man. Like, he was already here. He was already doing this. Like, this is a great, no, perfect. Let's like, he did this. He's been here. He did the Suicide Squad. He did Peacemaker. Like, he's had some influence over this last batch of movies. And he told me that The Flash was the greatest superhero movie of all time. <laughs> so these are the reasons. These are the reasons I'm like, well, I'd rather we talk about it. We talked about this before, too, but I just rather a clean slate uh, and nothing, no, nothing like nothing saying like, I don't want James Scott doing this. It's like not. I just wanted a reboot. And you can't you can't reboot something when the people are already there. You don't you don't hang the sign on the apartment complex under same management when you want to turn the page. You say under new management. And that's the problem there. And so, yeah, so this was enjoyable. Look, Idris Elba, clearly they just crossed out Deadshot and ruined in plus four literally has a daughter i'm like come on y'all <laughs> like it's so obviously supposed to have been will smith um but hey john cena's great in it you know um rick maybe care about rick flag yep were you he's not were you not in, he was invested an, in his relationship with what june moon what was her name <laughs> enchantress yeah he was a nothing character in the first movie and here i'm like oh man like and then when he died i was like damn like i actually cared right so and then to have Peacemaker turn on him like that. And so good. King Shark's fun. Like, there's a lot of good stuff here. But I, uh, the opposite of you, I let the things that spoke to me more. But speaking of how I ranked them, like, okay, this one doesn't speak to me the way certain things and the ones above this speak to me. That's why this is lower than those. Although I will admit it's probably start to finish an overall more complete pro- product when the other ones I'm going to say that are higher or less than the sum of their parts. So that's where I am with it. Totally. And it, I, this was one of the ones I really, there were a few when I made this and I put little stars next to them. And this was one of the ones because, but as I was refining the list, I was, I was having a hard time finding reasons to drop it. You know what I mean? I was just like, well, like it, it works. Like it's a, you know, it's, it's a, it's a solid, enjoyable movie. So for me, that was number seven. My number 10 was Blue Beetle. Which I okay, suspect, that's I my want, number seven. Look at us. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing with Blue Beetle. I enjoyed it a ton. It had a lot of heart. I love the lead actor. I thought he did such a great job. It's it's a it's a very endearing performance. I loved the cultural angle that we got, the family dynamic, which I thought put a, a fresh spin on on an otherwise familiar origin story. But I feel like the again the the, the cultural and family dynamic. Uh, again, kicked it up a notch. The score was great. The scene with, uh, with Jaime and his dad in the cosmic realm, I really got me. I, yeah, I was, I was tearing yeah. up a little bit. Fantastic. Worked great. I think what really brought this down for me was, you know, the overall plot. It just felt very run of the mill and the villain, the villain of the piece. I just, and like I've been saying about context, I feel like even beyond just the DCEU, we've had so many comic book movies at this point and so many villains on screen. And I feel like you need, they don't all need to be Heath Ledger's Joker, right? But we need a little bit more meat on the bone at this point. And I felt like there really was no reason why we couldn't have had a little bit more teeth with that, with respect to that aspect of the story. I also, I I continue to wrestle with this because I, I don't think they had any intention. I don't know that this necessarily would have even been the right path to make it a Ted Cord and Jaime Reyes story, right? Because you want it to be Jaime's story. I get that. But I do I do kind of bump up against an instance where it's a legacy character and 
the predecessor is acknowledged in fairness. It's not like they just told Jaime's story in a vacuum, but it just feels like, oh, there's a whole <laughs> whole character and whole piece here that we're not seeing. And I know the, you know, post-credit scene or whatever was teeing up Ted Corson's <laughs> return that we'll never see. Or who knows? Well, because, that'll be picked up in the DCU. I know, that's because right. Because Blue Beetle is the first character <laughs> of the DCU, just not the first movie, Anthony. It's very clear. Yes, I know. How, how could I have uh, forgotten that for a moment? <laughs> but so those are the things that kind of held it back for me. But in terms of just our protagonist, he's really up there for me. I And I, I mm-hmm. don't have a ton of attachment to the character of Blue Beetle, regardless of who's under the helmet. It's not a character that's really yeah. done much for me over the years. Uh, and the fact that I enjoyed this as much as I did. Again, I think speaks to the strength of the movie. So, you know, that's why, you know, I think it's relatively high on the list, but that's why it didn't, it didn't go higher. Yeah. For me, I just, I just found it very delightful. You know, it was, it was fresh in its, you know, I don't know, flavor, but, uh, the, the, the beats were very similar. Like we've seen it all before. That's the greatest strike against this movie is we've seen all the, all the superhero beats we've seen before, but all the 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 human stuff, if you want to call it that, the humanity of it all, like that's that's something that's that, that's fresher here. And um, and you know, no, I I was pleased with how they weaved in Ted Core. They didn't act like he didn't exist, which is you know a big thing that when you when you redo something and you update it, it's like oh yeah, you know this this is the first one. And like no no no, there, there was a whole legacy. There was actually two Blue Beetles before I mean Reyes, but I absolutely agree that he should have been the one they went with here, but the way that, you know, it was his daughter and his sister, like he was a presence in the world, right? Susan Sarandon, very hit or miss. Like, I felt like some scenes like, oh yeah, way to go, Susan Sarandon. And other scenes very clearly just phoned it in. Um, the climax, yeah, it's like typical Iron Man fights other Iron Man stuff, right? That's the criticism. It's And, and then that guy was a fascinating character, I thought, but they didn't go anywhere with him. Uh, Carapax? They right? gave him this um, really interesting character arc in like a 30-second montage during the climax. And it's like, where? This should have been a part of the movie. This is really interesting. <laughs> crazy. Great. And then he dies immediately. You're like, like, oh, God. okay. Yeah. So like, <laughs> I don't know. I like that dynamic. Um with with him and his whole family, like I said, the scene with the dad, very very Smallville void, you know, talking to Clark, talking to Jonathan, you know, very Adventures of Superman five hundred, and like you know, we, we've like we've seen it all, <laughs> but I, just it works on a lot of levels. I just thought it was pretty charming. It was pretty, you know, it, it's small stakes too, not the end of the world, yeah, right. Just somebody trying to get technology and get a get a one up for their business, and uh, and on and you know, I did not rewatch this one, but. We'll see where it falls over time. It might drop a little bit. I don't know. I just coming off of the flash, I was like, thank God. <laughs> Think of where this came out. This is just a couple of months after the flash. So it really did feel like a breath of fresh air and, and something, uh, something you could really like, okay, this, they were doing something with this movie. Uh, unlike the last one. So I think placement, you know, is important in the releases of these things. I know it's a shame to me that this performed as poorly as it, it deserved to be seen by more people. It, it really was, uh, again, I feel like we're at the point in the list where, uh, again, in, any of these movies I I enjoyed. So, uh, mm-hmm. uh, again, the fact that it's number 10 is not a you know searing indictment of it. Uh, but, yeah, so no, that it was... It definitely deserved to do better than, than, than it got. I got dealt a bad hand with everything. But, but, yeah, no, to me, this is like the... We're in the middle tier now where it's like, oh, yeah, like... Yeah. This is this is kind of hard to suss out, right? I mean, this is the what I was talking about earlier. I'm like, we're we're... It's all about certain things that speak to you or certain preferences about certain things. And these could all easily be all flipped around in this middle tier for me anyway. 
I will say I've been listening to the soundtrack for Blue Beetle uh, recently, like when I'm doing work or whatever. If I need to concentrate a little, mm. if I'm if I don't need to concentrate so much, I listen to a podcast. But if I need to focus a little bit more, then I'll just have some music. And I I've been listening to it. I always start with a Cosmic Realm track. It's it's great. Anyway, mm-hmm. okay. So what is your number nine? Well, number nine. Speaking of soundtrack, my number nine is Black Adam. Same and. What an incredible soundtrack. Like other than other than the Hans Zimmer um Junkie XL, Man of Steel, and BVS soundtracks, this is the best soundtrack of of the uh DCEU. Like I've listened to these these Black Adam themes uh a lot since it came out. And this is the thing, right? This this movie, um, there's a lot there where it could have been like really great if they actually took the time and developed like, well, you know, Hawkman was around back then. And so was the helmet of Naboo. And that's why these three characters are associated with each other. And maybe Shazam is involved, but it's, it's like they, they went, they took the easiest possible route with this character, which is unfortunate because this movie was in production for like 15 years. Like that's not even an exaggeration. (laughs) Um, and I don't, that's the thing, man. I like Dwayne, the rock Johnson and I enjoy him. And is he the best wrestler actor? No. He's actually not even the best wrestler actor in the DCU. That's John Cena. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like I, I can see what they were going for, like with Terminator 2 with like him and the kid. Like I I feel like that's what the ride they were going for. But I don't know, man. They're just I get the intangibles. The rock was out there just just selling this movie, you know, with a smile on his face and a song in his heart. He would wanted people to come see this movie. And I was man, I got caught up in it. I was really rooting for this movie. And I was like, well, it was okay, but it was enjoyable. Like when you see him doing his doing his uh, Black Adam stuff, the same visual language as the Zack Snyder Superman Kryptonian stuff, I was like, that's what I want to see. And that was so refreshing because we hadn't seen it in so long. And and um I, you know, I, I get, you know, we have we have some laughs on my podcast and I that that when there's too much comedy in movies, I like don't like comedy and things. I felt like look, there's a few silly things here, some self-awareness. But it never gets to the point of self-parody with this movie that I feel like some other DCEU movies do. Uh, there's some comedy, but it is rather serious. And, and it's it's an overstuffed um, cast. You don't need Cyclone. You don't need Adam Smasher. I talk about legacy. Why is why is the Fonz his uncle, the original Adam, <laughs> Adam Smasher? What does hey. that mean? Anything to anyone? That, I don't understand. Um, well, as, and a, then as the villain a JSA is fan. probably the worst. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go ahead. No, as a JSA fan and a huge Happy Days fan, I, that actually, I was really happy when Henry Winkler popped up on the phone. I was like, all right. <laughs> but yes, yeah, Sabak. Bizarre, are, yeah, but like, Sabak, the, maybe the worst villain, but that or Enchantress and her brother, I don't know, like, just, just complete stock video game villain. Like, he literally looks like the devil, <laughs> and he's just, I don't know, there's nothing to him. And it, and they tried to keep him like kind of a secret, I think, right? Because it was just a lot of Black Adam fighting the JSA. So when you see that, you're like, oh, I guess this is the villain. And the whole, t- man, the, the, the t- again, the marketing, the twist of like, it's not his son, it's his dad. I'm like, oh, that was supposed to be a twist? Like, I felt like the first trailer, they gave that away. So the odd, odd stuff, right? So this is on, at the, at the exact same point uh, on both of our lists. This was also my number nine. Okay. And I agree with everything. And I went back because I was like, was I just imagining this? And I went back and I watched the first trailer for Black Adam. And literally in the trailer, he goes, my son sacrifices life for mine. So again, a studio Fantastic. At, a studio at war with itself was like, how do you put something, even if it hadn't been in that first trailer, I don't know how shocked we would have been anyway, but it's in the first trailer. And then they tried to make it this 
late in the game reveal that was supposed to surprise everyone. Again, it's like, just what yeah. are you guys doing? But no, I like, and again, this was one of the ones I wanted to rewatch because the first time around we knew Henry Cavill was in the post credit scene and I was very excited and that drove a lot of my excitement for the movie. And, and I came away feeling good about it and I, and rewatching it, uh, there's a lot that does work. I agree with you. I think it would have been really easy to lean more into the action comedy, to lean more into the rocks, usual persona. Like, I agree with you. Is he the greatest actor in the world? No, but this was a rare instance where he wasn't just playing Dwayne the Rock Johnson, which is yes. typically the case. There was, you know what? There was a level of restraint in both his performance and the movie as a whole that I yeah. appreciated. And the the I think the biggest, the, I agree, score was awesome. I think the biggest criticism I have, and this kind of encapsulates a lot, they just left a lot on the table. Where yes, with the JSA, absolutely. the JSA in particular, it, it, it's like to, they didn't need to use Hawkman. <laughs> if you bring in Hawkman and you totally what, ignore. Why is Amanda Waller calling the shots <laughs> of the JSA? What, what It's like whole, this whole established thing. Bizarre, right? It's just that. Yeah. I mean, there, you know, there's that aspect of it. It's again, using Hawkman and fate two characters who have this history with Black Adam in ancient times and it's completely ignored. And here's what's heartbreaking to me. These JSA characters predated like the entire MCU, yet you watch this and Hawkman in particular comes off as just a ripoff of Black Panther. And it's like with the, I mean, again, the ship and, and, and every, it's like, and I'm saying to myself, it's like, you guys, like you were here first, like you, there's the originality aspect to this that you're just totally leaving on the table here. And it just feels Dr. so derivative. Fate, Dr. Strange, exactly the same exactly. Uh, deal as Hawkman and Black Panther. Although I love Pierce Brosnan. I love him anyway. He's my favorite James Bond. I love Pierce Brosnan. Didn't have that much to do, but he made the most of every scene he was in, and I thought he was great in the movie. That moment where he's like, you think yourself an unworthy champion because the Wizards didn't choose you, but fate doesn't make mistakes. Great! Yes, yes. I, I, re, I rewatched it, like, literally tonight before we did this. That was the last one. I was like, I'm like, that got me fired up. It's like, fate does not make mistakes. I'm like, yeah! And, and when, when The Rock, although he's the worst villain ever, when when the rock rips the guy in half, he's like telling the man in black said he was like, Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, there's just some intangibility of excitement that I got from some moments of this film. Uh, like even even when he first appears, like, oh man, he's they're gonna wake up black guy, he's gonna wipe these guys out. Like, I don't know, it's it's an excitement that 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 you know, it moved the needle a lot more than some of these other ones did for me. And that's why it's higher than than some other maybe better made movies. So it just spoke to me more. No, exactly. And I, going back to this idea of leaving stuff on the table, I, there are certain oh, I, yeah, yeah. ideas that they bring up, but they don't really explore, I think, to the extent that they could have, uh, you know, about what what it means to to be a hero or a protector in this case and how far one should go. I mean, it's kind of crazy to me that they <laughs> that they call to mind the dark knight with this whole business about the world doesn't always need a white knight. It's like, yo, you probably don't want to invite comparisons to what is no. <laughs> that most people agree is the best of all of these movies. Maybe, maybe pick some different mm -hmm. language. And even when Adriana is chastising the JSA, right? Because they're like, oh, we're here to preserve international yeah. stability. It's like, where have you been? We've been living under this oppressive regime. You haven't been here. He's here for us. That's a really that's really interesting. I feel like they could have gone deeper with that. Lean into that. Yeah. But again, we got that typical third act CGI fight. But again, a lot of it worked. And here's the biggest prop that I can give the movie. And I think this ties into what you're saying about feeling that excitement and getting pumped up. This was, I think it's fair to say, looking at this list of movies, 
the only meaningful instance post-Justice League where it felt like there was some idea for the future of the cinematic universe. And yes, was this driven by one man's desire to be at the center of it? <laughs> sure. Did I necessarily want to see a DCEU that revolved around Dwayne Johnson's Black Adam? Not necessarily, but you know what? At least, and I will say this forever, at least he was trying to do something. He was trying to build out this world, bring in new characters. The Justice League seemed to be in a state of flux, brought in the Justice Society, got Henry Cavill back on screen as Superman. It was the first time where it felt like, oh, okay, we might actually be moving towards something. And that will always earn this movie a lot of credit in my book, because at least at least they were doing something. <laughs> same, same page there. And uh, I think, you know, talk about diversity, diversity to cast here, too. Quite a diverse cast. You don't see an average superhero movie. And, and in a foreign country like that, especially in the least, like, I don't know, like a lot of things here that, you know, kind of like, you know, I was talking about Blue Beetle or like, well, we've seen a lot of this before, but there's a different flavor to it. And that's what you got to do. Right with with these things, so I thought that was, that was important as well. And then we got to talk about the post credit scene. Like, although, and we'll get there. Right, this the DCEU Snyderverse Superman is not my favorite interpretation. I was hyped as anybody to see like, oh, good, Superman's coming back. Like, oh, I was like stepping out of the shadows, and I, like I was I was hyped. And I, it's so funny. You can go back and listen to the podcast I did about this around that time. It's like, oh yeah, like Black Adam too. I'm so hyped. Like I don't like. And and again, they had, and we'll get there later on down the list here, but like they had a pivot point here. This is an important pivot point in the DCU. They're like, what do we do? Do we do we follow this this excitement about Henry Cavill? Hey, Henry Cavill, announce you're coming back as Superman. Great. People were so excited. Released a picture. It was a whole thing. And I know it was just a short post-credit scene from this, but it all came from this. And The Rock went out of his way. He fought everybody <laughs> to get Henry Cavill in this movie. People told him don't do it, and he did it. And um, there was a great response to it. And 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 for, I don't know, uh, X amount of weeks until James Gunn came in and said, I'm taking over. Like there was there was excitement and, and hope uh, because of my world, it means hope. But um, last thing I do want to say about this, I want, you know, again, box office does not mean quality. Like Suicide Squad is is the fourth highest grossing DCEU movie. But I, I did look this up and I had it for this conversation. I was curious, you know, um, Black Adam. Uh, made $390 million worldwide. And no other DC movie since has touched that. So maybe Dwayne The Rock Johnson was on to something. I'm just saying. It's not The Dark Knight, but I don't know. It was, it was a step in the right direction. Agreed. I know. Agreed. I remember that excitement, man. It was it was really palpable. And again, when I talked before about uh, Superman languishing, I mean, he, here's the thing. Even though, yeah, I really loved the Snyder take on it uh, on the character more than anything. I want to see the character. So I feel like that's yeah. the, the greatest Same. sin of the DCEU. It's like, I'm look a big boy. If, if the idea is okay, we're whether here's the thing, whether it's Henry Cavill or not, it's like, do you gotta, you gotta do something anyway. Uh, so yeah, we were the same on number. I wonder if we'll have the same number eight as well. What's your number eight? My number eight is Aquaman in the lost kingdom. Same. Oh, there we go. Yeah. I literally just saw this. I saw this yesterday. And it's it's fine. You know, I, I, I think the greatest things about it are Orm, Patrick Wilson. I'm a big Patrick Wilson fan. I think he brings a lot to it. And uh, also, 
it's a continuation of Aquaman. And it feels like a natural continuation of Aquaman, unlike the other sequels, unlike Shazam, Fury of the Gods, and especially Wonder Woman 1984. This is a natural continuation of what we saw before. Now, Willem Dafoe's not in it. Apparently, there were scheduling conflicts, and it's like, kill him off off screen with some disease. I'm like, oh, what? That sucked, because he was like a huge component of of the of the first one. And um, so funny. It's like, I feel like uh, Dolph Lundgren did all the things that, <laughs> that well, if I would have done a few in the movie and then I really I really like the expanded role of Dr. Shin Randall Park's great and he had these little couple of moments in the first film and I wondered if they were going to pick those up and they did and he was a, a presence he was a full character this time um, I do feel like it, it but, but it did feel kind of uh, I, I could see that I couldn't see, you don't see the seams in the same way like of the Flash and a Justice League but you can tell like hey like there's some weird slow-mo here and like this, why did you cut the black so many times? And why did the movie start like three times? And I, it's weird structural things and, and tonal inconsistencies. Um, because although Aquaman, a fun character, right? Uh, Jason Momoa brings a lot to it. I, in the first one, talk about that restraint kind of like with black Adam, right? There was, there was a lot of that in the first one, especially with like the persona of Jason Momoa as his badass, right? And a rule breaker and a real stuff. But in Aquaman and in, no Justice League, both of them, frankly. But like he had a certain seriousness about him, although he was kind of a goofball. He got serious when the time called for it. This one, it did, it did kind of feel like just Jason Momoa running around having a good time and good for him, but it didn't really track with with what they because but with what the evolution of the character should have been, in my opinion. Because like one of my favorite moments, spoilers, everyone. At the end, Black Mana is like holding on for dear life in this cliff and. Aquaman has learned the lesson from the first film where he let his father die. He let Black Manta's father die. Instead, he extends his hand to Black Manta to help him, to save him. And Black Manta's like, never! And he jumps backwards, and it's a really questionable special effect shot and, honestly, facial expression from me. Yeah, yeah, on that, I don't... It's a weird shot. But that moment said a lot about the maturity of the character. I was like, yeah, like he he's learned from his mistakes. And um, and at the end, he just like goes full Jason Moe. He's like, yeah, Aquaman! He does a mic drop and runs off. I'm like, what was that? That was weird to me. Um, so that's the tonal inconsistency I'm talking about. But there was enough here where I was like, okay, this is doesn't rank the top of my list, but it's, it's harmless fun. And I enjoyed a lot of it in the world of DCEU sequels, true sequels. This one towers above <laughs> the other ones that we've discussed. And I said this on, on my Patreon show, but I feel like, yeah, you can, you can put those two Aquaman films together and watch them in a vacuum. And I think you'd have a satisfying experience. And I think I, I have a feeling both of them, including, including the sequel will age relatively well. I could be wrong, but I, I feel like, again, we're, it, it's tough with honestly, with all of these movies, but especially these last four, knowing they're lame ducks and we're heading towards the DCU. But even with movies that came before where we know all of these behind the scenes shenanigans and shuffling and reshoots, like it's, it's hard to watch divorced from all of that. And I feel like this is one of these movies that, yeah, we're watching it now and we're counting how many lines Amber Heard has and we're like, oh, how'd they work around her? But I feel like years from now, and especially people who don't know any of this and are you know, watching it fresh, I think it would be a fun experience. So yeah, it was, I found it, it was fun. It had heart. Too silly. And I agree. It's like the instances where Momoa was just being Momoa talking about slices of za and tacos and tequila and I am Aquaman. It's like, you know, just rein it in. Don't be afraid to embrace some earnestness. You know, the whole final moments of the film where Atlantis reveals itself and he's given this press conference preaching unity. 
the environmental message I felt was pretty half-assed in this. It was like Black Adam. I think they were, you know, kind of touching on some interesting subject matter, but yeah. they weren't equipped to really <laughs> give us something more. It's the, the, the same energy I respectively brought it up because I feel like this is this is an Aquaman story, right? The ocean's melting. I'm like, okay, like this ice caps, right? Like this is a story you couldn't just plug in any hero. And I respected that about it because a lot of these lesser ones are like this. Any anyone can fight the daughters of Atlas or whatever, <laughs> you know. But but this like no, this called for Aquaman specifically, and and yeah, and like it is almost like Superman four esque, where it's like okay, we're going to talk about a a current event, a current crisis, and address it. I mean, you even have Aquaman at the UN, much like Superman at the end of Superman four. Um, but then it's like yeah, I I think you said it best. They're not really well equipped to to tackle global warming. <laughs> I did. There's a line from me. From Black Black Mana, he's like, "Well, thank God for global warming, huh?" Doctor Shin's like, "Well, actually, not." That was there were some good moments, you know. And I, you know, another another thing I would say is like, I wish we got more from Black Mana. Like he got possessed immediately, and then really wasn't even the same guy. And I, for for a character, I mean, this is rare where you have a, a villain in one film, he goes on to the next one. And you kind of expect you expect a Magneto or a Loki, or you kind of you you, you make that guy more three dimensional and. Like we didn't learn anything more about him or have any other insight into his his one noteness and maybe that's just the character. I don't know, but I, I expected more from that aspect and we just didn't get that because of the because of the route they choose to win with the frozen ghost army. So No, totally. But overall the brother dynamic was compelling. That carried the movie and Fantastic. Anything dealing with Aquaman and Mera reclaiming their son, that resonates and you know, you feel that. And that's where the mm. yeah, that's where the movie really kicks into high gear and you actually feel the, the stakes uh, in, in a more powerful way. But yeah, no, a, a watchable, enjoyable, uh, doesn't reach the heights of the first one, but at least feels of a piece with the first one in a way that the other sequels of the DCEU don't. So yeah, for both of us, this was like right smack in the middle. That's the key. That's the key. This one, while, the, while those bad sequels pull down the originals, like this one works the opposite. I feel like the original kind of lifts this one up a little bit uh, and it you know coasts off of that. Agreed. No, no pun intended. Is that an Aquaman joke? I don't even know. Let's move on. So, <laughs> so look, so again, quick recap from 10 to seven for you, the suicide squad, black Adam, lost kingdom, blue beetle for me, 10 to seven blue beetle, black Adam, lost kingdom, the suicide squad. So again, in this leg of our journey here, slightly different order, but a couple that were identical and the same group of films in this. So now we go to our top six. This episode made possible in part by educator, hobby comic book collector, and pop culture enthusiast Sam Lim. Sam is based in the South Jersey area and is looking to connect with other comics fans as well as retailers. They are also looking for comic shops to explore, so recommendations are welcome. Be sure to follow Sam on Instagram at SZLComics to see their latest comic pickups and shop adventures. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina for people of all ages and walks of life. With more than 40 years and a new second location to its name, Acme is a multiple-time Eisner Award nominee. The shop features a significant contemporary and vintage selection, as the Acme team uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material. Mail order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available anywhere via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. What is your number six entry in your DCEU ranking? My number six 
is Batman v Superman oh. Dawn of Justice Ultimate Edition. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> I feel like this is where we're going to start parting ways here a little bit. Um, <laughs> look, here's the deal. I love everything about Batfleck. I think Wonder Woman is such a standout character in that in that film. Uh, her introduction that that talk about the music when an iconic before it became a joke because they were played in these cameos. Well, just a just a rocking theme, you know. I mean, it's just fantastic. Um, Alfred, amazing, you know, like the whole Batman universe, right? Fantastic. Uh, Zack Snyder said always said he wanted to do Dark Knight Returns. Well, it shows in this movie. Everything about Gotham City, um, uh, great stuff. And but then the Superman world of it all, right? I just there's so much about this characterization when he has lines like Superman was never real. No one stays good in this world. You know, I'm like, come on, man. Like, I, I understand the journey that they were like Snyder was going for something. Right. I just I, I don't want to go there with Superman. Right. I, I have different versions of Superman that I re, that I respond to more. And I don't want him to be the you have Batman's the dark and gritty one. You can't have dark and gritty Batman versus dark and gritty Superman. I think that's a miscalculation. Miscalculation, and uh, Doomsday was just rushed. Like, I'm curious. Like, I, I really want. We have not. We've joked around it when we talked about stuff. We've never actually confronted it with each other. We've we've got along so well podcasting. We didn't want to bring it up, but I think for someone who loves the death of Superman, as you do, was formative, right? Uh, did you feel gypped? Because I I felt gypped because they just they wedge doomsday into this you blink and you miss it that could be a trilogy and it's just afterthought of this strange world's finest movie and that just i'd never that's again the marketing clearly doomsday is supposed to be a surprise but in that third trailer for bbs they just throw it all out there and like oh i do what and, and people say the movie would still be the movie and, and that's true the movie doesn't change but your experience when you watch something knowing or not knowing something can change and if you're sitting there and you're like, oh, okay, what's it going to be like a clone? And then Doomsday shows up, I'm like, whoa, it's Doomsday. I might have a totally different reaction than having watched this trailer with like Cave Troll looking Doomsday for, you know, two months and be like, I don't know, man. Should they really be doing this? And you're debating it and you're sitting there and you're waiting for it. Um, and although I've said this, you know, I, I think Eisenberg's Lex is a, is a valid interpretation. It's not the one I want. Too quirky. Visually, not the thing I'm going for, like the long red hair. Like, I'm like, what do you, you know, he becomes Lex Luthor when he shaves. I'm like, okay, all right, all right, all right. Like, da, 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 da. like we didn't need that, right? So, again, very conflicted on this movie. Like, the, like it, that's why it is where it is. It's like this, it's on this seesaw of the top tier in the middle tier for me. Uh, and last thing I'll say is, um, what is the last thing? I was going to say one more thing. That's what it, the last thing I'll say was, I love the opening of this movie. I turned again, Lance, shout out to Lance Laster. We saw this together. I turned to him after the first 10 minutes. I'm like, this is the best move. This is incredible. This movie's amazing. Because that opening sequence tying back into Man of Steel, you know, uh, folding Batman in and Bruce Wayne. What was he doing during those events? We see them, right? And then Ben Affleck is just um, like off the page Bruce Wayne, off the page Batman. Yeah, he's doing some stuff. He's shooting people and whatnot. Uh, what Batman hasn't? Christian Bale killed many people. So did Michael Keaton. Like, I'm so sick of that complaint. Um, now I love how the Batman doesn't kill anyone. That's fantastic. But I'm just saying like to, to just, to just rail on Batfleck when other Batman have done much worse, but let's celebrate Michael Keaton coming back. Cause he was such a, <laughs> he was such a comic accurate Batman. Are you kidding me? Uh, and I love them both. They're both my two favorite live action Batman, 
but but yeah, for for all of my conflicted nature, I I think that that opening sequence might be the best opening sequence in a comic book movie. I thought it was fantastic. So I I understand what Snyder was doing. I wasn't the biggest fan of the the Superman world of it all and the characterization. And that's my biggest hurdle with BVS, and that's why it is where it is, Anthony. I hear you, honestly. I I do get that. So for me, and this was in the top tier. This was where I struggled the most because I originally had it one lower. And I said to myself, you need to listen to the truth in your heart is I really do believe in this movie. And again, we are talking about the ultimate edition, the three hour cut. And before I say, which makes a difference, which makes a difference. I'd say, I know a lot of people say, yeah, it's the same movie. I think it makes a big difference. That's the thing I was just going to say before I, I, I say where I put it. If you've only ever seen the theatrical cut, you really haven't seen the full movie. There's so much that gets fleshed out and tied together. It's a far more enriching viewing experience because I came out of, and that's the thing. I, I know I've, I've addressed this over the years talking about these movies, but just to be clear, I, and one of the reasons I like talking about this is I've been on the other side of it. Like I came out of man of steel and BVS, not really feeling so great about those films, feeling pretty conflicted, always, defending them to an extent because I never felt they deserve the amount of hate that they got. But I always had- Not at all, not at all. But I always had reservations. And it's only been with successive watches and specifically watching that extended cut of Batman v Superman where I got a clearer sense of of what Snyder was doing and how it was layered and, and what he was going for. So I've been on both sides of this. For me, I put this at number two. This is my number two. I feel like it's it's this is this is our biggest gap. This is our biggest <laughs> gap. I just feel like it's fascinating. It's dense. It's it's kind of, and this is gonna sound like a negative, but like an exhausting viewing experience, but in a in a good way, like a good workout. Like you get done and you're like, man, like that was a meal of a movie. And I don't, here's the thing, I get what you're saying. And this is, I'd say that the two things that maybe I struggled with the most, and even still can can definitely understand the criticisms. The Doomsday, both introducing Doomsday this early and also the visual depiction of Doomsday. Uh, and the fact that, yeah, you don't have quite the level of contrast between Superman and Batman that you might expect. Um, that piece of it, I'm okay with, because I feel like this world that we're presented with, that Superman is cast in, where he's constantly being doubted and questioned as he's performing all of these <laughs> heroic feats, I understand where he's coming from. I also think that the extended cut, all of the scenes with Clark as the investigative reporter and seeing that side of him, I think that adds a lot. Uh, that goes a long way because you get to see a little bit more of the character. Uh, so it was really a shame to see that gutted in the theatrical cut. With the doomsday of it, I still don't like the visual representation. Uh, and especially, like you and I talked about the Krypton TV series. Now having seen Doomsday on Krypton, I'm like, God damn it, like what the hell? Like that's the way to do it. Which, which... Snyder's strengths are his visuals. That's why it was so surprising to me. Like every, you look at Batman, you look at Wonder Woman, like it's so perfect. And then you look at that, you're like, hmm, Exactly. So that piece of it, no, I still do. I still do wish that Doomsday had gotten a redesign. But as far as the fact that they went with Doomsday and they actually killed him, yes, my instinct too is to say, oh, they, that could have been the next movie and, and whatnot. But I feel like that this was the story that he died for the world that doubted him. Like that was, that was it. So it does feel like a lot of ground to cover in one movie. And, and you're right. Death of Superman, hugely formative for me, got me into all of this. So I do have a specific view of like what the death of Superman is and when it comes in the story and what purpose it serves. And that was kind of the thing I had to reconcile for myself with this was like, 
they're using the death of Superman here in a different way. Boy, not like uh, not not unlike when we talked about Smallville. Where it's like there, it's about maybe your island's still out there, Clark. It's this right in Smallville. It's like this is one of the final tests before he can become Superman. Yeah. So I, I think my perspective has widened a little bit, and I just. Again, man, for anyone who's listening to this, if you watch the theatrical cut and you just like abhorred it, all right, maybe you won't get anything more out of the of the extended edition. But if there was anything that resonated with you from that theatrical cut and you've never seen the extended one, watch it. Because uh, I really feel like this is a movie that benefits from watching that cut and watching it another time because there's a, a lot going on in that movie. But I just, I love it. I think it's really going for something. It's it's uh, again very a complex take, not what you would expect from this kind of movie, and I stand by it enough that I put it at number two. And I know I've lost a lot of people at this moment. Not everyone though, <laughs> but uh, again, <laughs> let me know where where it ranks for you, audience. Uh, and it, it's all good. <laughs> so, so that was your number six. It was my number two. My number six was Shazam, the first Shazam movie. Okay, that's We're, my number four. Oh, okay. So not too far off. I mean, I guess I already said a lot of what I felt about the movie when we talked about the sequel, but uh, I just, you know, really had a great time with it. Had a lot of heart. Uh, Again, love the balance between the characters. Really heartbreaking when you get into Billy's backstory and he tracks down his mom. I mean, it really, it it really resonates in this whole idea of the found family. Uh, It's, again, just a ton of fun. I I, I like it a lot and rewatching it, you know, not too long ago, it, it really held up. Yeah, I think uh, like the, the mom scene where it's like it, there's just something so I don't know it hits you where it's like this one object that's the most important thing to you that you've been holding on to, and then the person you give it to you, who you thought gave it to you doesn't even know what it is. I'm like, damn, like that gets you there. And you know, I um we talk about it with Fury of the Gods, but yeah, Billy Batson, right? I mean, we we you you get one over by his character, and he's a, he's a huge part of it, and even though him and Zachary Levi are not very much alike, I think they're, they're just more, you can kind of fake it. I don't know. Like it works more in this film than it did in the sequel by, I mean, unquestionably much, much more. Um, so you can suspend your disbelief a little more. And I think, uh, Mark Strong's great as Savannah. He, he would have been a great Lex Luthor, Anthony, just saying, um, instead of that, I just, I really wish to, to step back to BBS for a second. I like, I, I really wish, that uh, Jesse Eisenberg had not auditioned for Jimmy Olsen because that's how it all started, right? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, just had to say that. But um, Mark Strong, you know, is, is great as Savannah. Based off the New 52 version where he kind of gets the powers and whatnot. Um, and the found family thing, there's just a lot of wholesomeness. Like, it's like if, if like Spielberg made a superhero movie in the 80s, this is what it would be, right? And, and it just felt like and then at the end, like it's something we never seen before. Like the whole family becomes um, the superheroes, which I didn't expect. Which, which, hey, shockingly, they did not give away in the marketing materials, huh? I know that's actually something. Yeah, no, it was <laughs> uh, again a really, a really strong movie. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm trying to think if there was anything else. Oh, I guess this is as good a place as any because now we've already talked about Fury of the Gods, Black Adam, and now Shazam. So, talk about mm. missed opportunities and mismanagement in the DCEU. It's one thing for there not to be a mega arc a la the Infinity Saga in the MCU, right? That's one thing. But there are sort of our sub-franchises within the DCEU that beg for some kind of connection point or crossover. I remember, 
Oh yeah, I remember coming out of Black Adam. I think it was coming out of the theater for Black Adam and there was a family in front of me and the kid was asking the dad like, oh, why wasn't Captain, why wasn't Shazam in that? <laughs> it's like, I'm like, yeah, I wonder the same thing too. So that's I, a good question, kid. Right. So from <laughs> as far as, as we can tell, right, uh, Dwayne Johnson didn't want, didn't want that for whatever reason. But I, I don't know. What, what is your take on this? How much do, how much does that family of movies suffer for not having, or do, does it, maybe it doesn't suffer. I don't know how well they would even interact. That's because they're so totally different. Um, but that would be interesting to see those two clash. I mean, much like, you know, you want to see a light Superman fight a dark Batman. You want to see a light Shazam fight a dark black Adam. And they were, that was clearly what they should have done. Not, it was, it was okay. The, the first Shazam movie is like, Oh, they're not doing black Adam. Interesting. Okay. Cause traditionally, you know, if animated movies and whatnot, like usually those guys go hand in hand. Right. And that's what I think we all kind of hoped black Adam two would be with black Adam versus Superman and Shazam. And that would have brought it all together and help tie all the franchises together, as you say. Uh, even though Superman does have his headless cameo in this movie, which which didn't bother me. Did did it bother you, the headless Henry Cavill? Uh, or not Henry Cavill, I guess. Yeah, I didn't care for that so much. <laughs> okay. I didn't care for that I, so much. I think, I thought it felt, it, it fit the vibe of this movie. You know? That's, that's what I'll say. Like, don't do it anymore. But you can get away with it this one time. When it became a thing, that's when I had to start to have a problem with it. When you have the the Flash where he's on the TV and he's CGI and we don't see him. And then like Peacemaker, he's in the shadows. And, you know, and, and if not for the rock moving heaven and earth, it would have been the same thing in Black Adam. That would have been unacceptable. But th- to me, it worked here. Uh, although why they play the John Williams theme, we've talked about this. Like, apparently that's going to be the Superman theme now. They did the same thing in Black Adam. It's like, okay, y'all, like I'm, I love the John Williams theme, but that's that's not Henry Cavill's theme, y'all. Like, I don't. What are you guys doing? I don't. Under, are you trying to trick me? And like, hey, you guys uh-huh. like Christopher Reeve, right? Well, here's his music. You like it more now? It's not going to change anybody's opinion. It's strange, <laughs> strange. But no, I this one time as a as a, just a a note to end on for these goofy kids to have Superman show up. Like it it worked. Um, but no, they absolutely should have had these two characters fight. Like. Black Adam being in Shazam 2 immediately changes everything. Like, it's 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 crazy. And then, and then so I don't know, right? Th- there's so many books to be written and documentaries to be made about the true behind the scenes going on here. But it did it did hurt the overall franchise, but it didn't it didn't hurt the first movie. I thought it might, like when I heard that they weren't gonna connect him, but they made their own way with it. And I I found uh, Savannah's story pretty compelling, right? He's the kid who got told no and he can't get over it, and he's obsessed and trying to get back there. Like that was interesting stuff. So I'm I, I really liked it. And hey, as Smallville fans, we got to have a shout out to John Glover playing the father of another supervillain in this, which is great to see. Yeah, no, that was terrific. No, I agree. I don't think that it hurt. I don't think the lack of Black Adam hurt Shazam. I think the Black Adam movie got away with it. But when you see the wizard and you see all the backstory, it just it's like this seems like it would be a natural point to have some sort of a connection. But I think the Black Adam movie skates by, but I do think by the time you get to Fury of the Gods, and I mean, like, that's, I mean, again, look, it's easy to play Monday morning quarterback, but you think (laughs) about what Fury of the Gods could have been like, and maybe, maybe there's something in that movie about, I, I couldn't really see Black Adam actively recruiting the Shazam kids, but maybe some of the Shazam kids are kind of tempted by Black Adam's way of doing things. Maybe that's the source, right? Because the whole thing is Billy's like, I gotta keep everyone together, but you, you don't really know where that's coming from. Maybe that that could have mm. been, I, I don't know, but it, it definitely would have would have changed things. And uh, yeah, it's a shame that we didn't get to see that. And maybe that would have 
reined in the Zachary Levi of it all and those, uh, you know, the, the, yeah. the childish, silly antics of the character. It just, it would have, I don't know, just changed the, the whole tone. The funniest thing about all this is, is although there wasn't a Shazam Black Adam fight in the movies, there was in real life. <laughs> they have beef in the real world. It's so, it's so, it's like when I, when I said I wanted to see them fight, this isn't what I meant. Yeah. It's amazing. I'll never forget that interview where is, Levi was asked, like, have you seen Black Adam? And he's like, nope. And they were like, and I don't know if he's like, oh, are you going to? And he was like, oh, I'm just, I'm just, I'm busy. And it's like, it would take Dude. nothing to be like, oh, like, I can't wait to see it. <laughs> like, or just lie and say, yeah, it was a lot of fun. That was a very specific choice. Anyway. Okay. So those were our number sixes. I'm curious. And What's your number five? My number five is Man of Steel. Okay. <laughs> no, it's, it's all so, good. <laughs> I enjoy Man of Steel. I've had a journey with Man of Steel. You know, when I first saw it, I was like, two thumbs up, A+. Plus. I, this is the first two Superman movies combined into one in modern special effects. It's amazing. Updating. Up, and, you know, I'm, on, I'm riding the high because Superman's back, right? Because it was Superman Returns, I've been on a journey with that as well. Like I have very similar feelings about both of them because they're both on opposite ends of the spectrum. They could not be more different. Again, even there, WB extremely reactionary. <laughs> it's like let's go the other way entirely. Um, you know, when I saw it, I was like, "Hey, this is great! It's a great fresh new start to the franchise." The end. Welcome to the planet. Clark can't smile. I'm like, oh, we're back. I can't wait to get our Superman trilogy the way we just got our Batman trilogy. And then, you know, things happen. But uh, Michael Shannon, probably the best villain in the DCU is Zod. Agreed. What do you think? Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. So he's a strong antagonist and and, and you understand his, like, he's not like, I'm going to get you, Superman. He's like, no, I have, my mission is to accomplish this goal. And you are in the way of my goal and have actually undermined my goal. And now I hate you. And I'm like, okay, perfect. Like you, I say it all the time because we talk about Zod a lot because in a lot of media, we've never had a bad Zod. And I'm not saying who's the best and who's the worst or whatever, but like Michael Shannon, if you told me he's your favorite Zod, I'd be like, yeah, I could see that. Absolutely. It's very three-dimensional. Um, Russell Crowe, like, like modern day Marlon Brando, you know, <laughs> like great casting as Jor-El. We've really leaned into him with a beard. Just kind of see him have that physical physicality to him with Zod. Reminds me of the animated series when he's like a younger, more physical guy, uh, which is great. I mean, the um, Amy Adams, here's the thing. Amy Adams, I love Amy Adams as an actress, right? Uh, love your own Smallville. Shout out to Smallville. But I don't know if she's the best fit for Lois Lane, man. And maybe, I don't know if it's the red hair. I don't know. I don't, it's not that. But it's like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't dislike her. But she's way at the bottom of my list for Lois Lane. So I can't really put my finger on why. Because I, I love her and everything she does. I, I don't know if it's chemistry between them. I, I don't know. It, it's I, I, that's where I am on it. There, I I love Lawrence Fisher as Perry White. I mean, he might be my second favorite after Lane Smith from Lois and Clark. Um, so th there's there's good stuff here and some, you know, uh, he he is a more dark and gritty Superman here. But I'm like, yeah, it's his origin story. And like, I have a lot of the problems people have. I don't have problems with. People are like, Jonathan Kent would never say that. I'm like, I, he would totally say that. I've watched ten years of Smallville. He would say, I don't know. Maybe you should let those kids die. Like I get, like I, I I get that same vibe from both of them, right? And and um, a lot of the, here he's Clark still figuring himself out. So I don't have the issues I have with BVS. Where I'm like, dude, you're Superman now. Like you need to like, don't be questioning things. You know, like some silly farmer's dream. No, no, no. You're Superman. Like, dude, the be Superman. 
and here it's okay. And um, and I thought, oh, we set up the Daily Planet world. I can't wait to see more of that because that's a huge component of the character and it's missing in the rest of the DCU. And that's why, you know, like BVS, for example, ranks a little lower. You're right. The Ultimate Edition fleshes that out a little more, but then he's dead and then he's never Clark Kent again. <laughs> I wanted more of that. That's it's such a to me, it's a, it's an essential part to have that duality of the character, which we don't get here either, frankly. And I like like the Henry Cavill never got to play it. And I really would want to see him. And not everybody has to be Christopher Reeve because I think he was the best at the two personalities. But that is such a charming, fun part of the character, which isn't there. Um, so those are my scattershot thoughts. I mean, so again, I'm very conflicted on this one, too, because, you know, Superman is my guy. You know, these are my characters. So that's where I am with it. And so, so I've kind of come around for a while. I was like, yeah, yeah. That, what was that all about? And I'm like, oh, you know, guys, there's a lot of good stuff here. If you actually kind of sit down and look what they were doing. So so that's where I am here. And ultimately, I'll, I'll say this for both BVS and Man of Steel. Um, extremely well-made films, so polished, like a singular vision, like we're, like we're talking about where there was a, a language here and uh, they were going for with some of the other films. Um, you can see it, like love it or hate it. You can't say Snyder didn't have something he was going for. And I'll take, you know, for all the discourse and diversiveness, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the divisiveness, I should say, excuse me, I'll take these movies over most of these movies on this list, despite them not being at the top of my list. Totally. I, that's the thing. The Snyder films uh, across the board were, were going for something in a way that a lot of these other ones I feel weren't, whether you like it or not. Uh, for me, so this was your number five. Man of Steel is number three on my list. Uh, and I've watched, I've rewatched it a decent amount, especially in the course of uh, covering the various tellings of the Superman origin story. So I've spent a fair amount of time on it. It's the, it's the first time I ever really cared about the Krypton of it all. And even going back to the first viewing of the film, when I was more conflicted on it, even then I came away thinking like, wow, like that opening was, was incredible. Um, I, I don't disagree about the, the kind of that duality and the reporter side. I've talked a lot about how the birthright comic is, is my ultimate favorite take on the origin story. And there he's traveling the world, not unlike Clark in the film, but he's reporting while he's traveling the world. And yes, something like that, I think could have, could have gone a long way for me, but I just, I love the journey that Clark goes on in this film to find out where he's from and what he's going to do. And the fact that no one is just telling him what to do or, uh, I know he has given the costume, but it's not like <laughs> we don't have that 15 year uh, download training session in the fortress and he's just there. It's really this whole idea of what he's going to choose to do. And I loved that that was explored in this. And the the most divisive aspects of the film that I know people have big issues with, letting Pa die and, and killing Zod, I, I've wrestled with those myself, but I understand how they work in the context of this story that's being told. Maybe there are certain aspects of them that could have been executed in a way that it would have been clearer to the audience, kind of what the true, what the the aim of it was. I don't know if that would have changed things, but I, um, I'm okay with with how that played out. I agree with you with Amy Adams. That's a tough one. She's good. That's kind of where I land with her. She's a good <laughs> Lois. Yeah. I don't. She doesn't light my fire the way some of the other Lois Lanes have. I mean, we've had the best ones on on television with Erica Durant and Betsy Tull, yeah. Terry Hatcher. My God. So, and yeah, I don't know too. I think part of it is her as Lois generally. Part of it is that chemistry. And here's kind of a hot take. And I haven't said this on any of the podcasts, but like mm. in the new 52, 
they moved in the comics, they moved away from Lois and Clark and you had Superman and Wonder Woman in a relationship. That probably would have been too radical for, <laughs> for the movies, but mm. seeing the casting here, I don't know. Part of me says like something like that maybe could have worked with, with this casting in these movies. I don't know. There might've yeah. been something there. I don't know. Yeah. I, maybe, you know, I, they had all kinds of ideas for, Lois and Bruce Wayne and they all kinds of like for the future. So who knows what they were, they might've gone with that, but yeah, I don't, it's tough. I, it's so crazy because I'm like, again, Amy, I was my favorite actresses and I'm like, Oh, she's playing Lois Lane. And it's like, uh, okay, yeah. sure. Like I, and I, and there is an age difference. It's not a visual thing either. Like I, but I just, I don't know. I don't know. You, you see pictures of them together. You don't have that same sizzle you have with a Dean Cain and Terry Hatcher. Tom Willink, Erica Durant, and even, you know, the Christopher Reeve, Margot Kidder, it was, it was more of a high romance kind of thing to it there too. They had that, just that connection and, and not, but they had time to breathe. These movies, they're not, they don't have time for that because, you know, there, there's no day in the life, small, quiet moments between them. She knows that he's an alien from the jump and there's no charming do identity thing. Cause that's always a lot of fun with that relationship. So you got to remember that kind of stuff. And, uh, I don't know, like that's ran with it. And, um, I, uh, yeah, it was, it's one more thing I want to see about Man of Steel, and it was uh, something about I don't know. So we can just well, if it comes back, just to move you, on. I guess we have one more oh, Snyder yes. movie to discuss. It did yeah. come back to me. That's right. It could go there, but yes. Now I think I just remembered. Um, the the pocket dying thing, right? Yes. On like usually, I think it being a heart attack or something completely out of Clark's control is the way to go because it teaches him all those powers and I couldn't even save him right to quote Superman the movie that that is the lesson of Pawkin but here I think it kind of shows him he's a man because Pawkin is a, he's a man of his convictions right and he's going to walk the walk that the, to me him dying in the tornado justifies him saying maybe you should let those kids die because he himself was willing to die to protect the secret and so that that you know that ties it together for me so instead you take these things out of you can take you can make fun of anything you take out of context you know and so you, you take this thing out of context like oh you're just going to let him Jonathan Kent's gonna let a b- bunch of kids die. I'm like, okay, let's let's explore the context, right? So, to me, that that those two things work together in concert. Um, although thinking about that, I do think the flashbacks are kind of weird in this, where like we see him die, and then we see more flashbacks of him. I've never liked that about Man of Steel. I feel like that's a powerful thing. We're like, oh god, he's dead, and then like, and here's a flashback to a few years earlier. I'm like, that's weird, like. Uh, that's a strange structure. It's like they tried to be Batman Begins, but they didn't quite have the the story in the same way. Um, but all that to say, though, my point with that is like that that is such a, a lightning rod issue for this movie, and that's never really been an issue for me with it. So that you know, like we were saying with Batman v Superman, the death can serve a different function, and similarly here, I feel like with with Jonathan dying, yes, this plays differently than we've seen before, but it's for this purpose and this idea that Clark will ultimately have to make this choice when he's ready and not to have his hand forced. I guess you can argue that maybe that happens anyway when Zod comes later, but it's like he had already undertaken his journey to find out who he is and taken that first flight and everything. So I feel like he had really crossed that threshold at that point anyway. But yeah, I mean, this movie, it launched this, this universe so much potential at the outset. It created this whole new visual language that Hans Zimmer score is absolutely gorgeous. I love it. The, you know, so many moments and lines, like when, when Paz says to Clark, you know, you were, you know, you were sent here for a reason and it's up to you 
to find out what that reason is, even if it takes you the rest of your life. It's powerful. And again, I just love the journey that Clark goes on. So that's my number three. All right. But can I ask you yeah. one more thing about, yes. about Man of Steel? And I think it does it just might apply to BVS as well. And, and and a lot of criticism is the the property damage, right? I will say that is that is one of the things that I'm like, eh, because to me there's there's one moment. It's like when Zod picks up this this these two tanker trucks, LexCorp tanker trucks, and throws it at Superman, and he jumps out of the way and it hits a building and destroys the building. Like, dude, you're you're not helping the cause when people criticize your movie for that, when that's what he does. So I'm not one of these people that are saying like, well, he should have fallen windows. Like, I, you know, you could sit here all day and talk about like, well, he's first day on the job and all that. I'm just saying like, they have the technology now to show what a superpower battle would be in a city, but they could have reeled it in a little bit is my, is my comment on it and had Superman try and try and stop the damn. That's why I mentioned that one moment. Cause I'm like, that is clearly like, I would see Superman trying to catch that, truck and throw it out of the way instead of literally jumping out of the way so when people criticize the property damage that's what i go to do you think that's an unfair criticism or what are your thoughts on that no i I think that's fair i think that's one of those instances where like a little goes a long way and showing one or two attempts to try to (laughs) try to move the battle or to try to limit or try to save someone in the process you know save a bystander would have gone a long way so yeah i think the movie probably would (laughs) have benefited from that um you know, on the podcast and other episodes, we've talked about the killing of Zod. I'll just real quick say again, mm. I think in this context, it it made sense, right? Stories typically give Superman an out so that he doesn't have to kill. This was an instance where it was kill this connection to your home world or let this innocent human family die. And that was Superman making his choice in that moment. And yes, it's visceral and it's painful to watch, but it's painful for the character to experience. Is Is it maybe a little jarring that in the next scene, he's, you know, kind of- uh, Hey, you know, Lois, yeah. You know, and then the months later, presumably, but yeah, yeah, Uh, or even you know the scene with the general in the desert. It's like, yeah, maybe uh, again, there's a little connective tissue. I will say there Mm. was a David Goyer has talked about a scene that was written but was never filmed of a flashback to a hunting trip between Pa and Clark and a discussion about taking a life, and I feel like that probably would have gone a long way had something been there. So you kind of had a little bit. That would have been great. Right. So look, all to say, I'm not sitting here being like, oh, this is absolutely perfect from start to finish. And I think there maybe are a few things here and there that would have alleviated some of people's concerns, but I stand by this movie. It's my number three. Uh, I, I, I love it a lot. And I, again, I wish that everything it had set up had been able to uh, fully come mm-hmm. to fruition but in any event. Uh, so that's your number five. My number five is the first Aquaman movie. Okay. That's my number three. Very nice. So we, we, f- we flipped again. Um, yeah, I, I thought the Aquaman was fantastic. I uh, Jason Momoa kind of won me over in that one because you're like, oh, yeah. I mean, he's, you look at him you're like, okay, you're like the Peter David barbarian undersea Aquaman, the one from JLU, and you know, you're like, okay, that's the one you're going for, cool. Um, and then th- that was we were at a crossroads in 2018. You know, I mean, like Justice League had come out the year before, and you're like wow, it's a whole year until we get another one. What's it going to be? Like, uh, you know, Snyder cast this guy, but now he's gone. Like, what's, you know, and we, well, we saw what, you know, the the more Snyderverse looking Aquaman movie made of in and, and, and Zack Snyder Justice League. We'll get there. But I thought it was great. I think, you know, the 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 emotional level of it all, the relationship with him and his father, him and his mother, right? The a fake out death, which I didn't mind because I felt like all the, there were still consequences from that quote unquote death. 
um and then discovering her like you kind of figured like i kind of figured i'm like okay they keep mentioning this mom got like banished or something i'm like you're mentioning it too much to not see her and then when you see her like oh it's great it's nicole kiffin it's wonderful um and i think it it works because you have you have your your kind of low-level villain like the trench which from the i don't they're from the new 52 right i think they were invented for that i don't recall them existing before then you have you know black man like kind of your your middle ground villain like you know every day in the life villain and then you have Ocean Master, his brother. So I'm like, you have all these levels of villains, and you think you would think, man, like I don't know. And they try to shove too many villains in these comic movies. I don't know if it's gonna work. It worked. Whatever the secret sauce was, it worked this time. And they all serve their own role. It didn't feel overstuffed. They all had their own angle. And then, and then, really, um, it, the visuals, right? I mean, James Wan's a great director, and he done horror stuff. And like to give him this big budget, like he really brought to life. I, I think this is probably the most comic book accurate of any costumes I've seen. Ocean Master, Aquaman. We, we're going to see an Ocean Master and Aquaman fight each other in comic book accurate costumes on a submarine. It's incredible stuff. And um, I, I was just, I was surprised by it. And I think everybody was surprised by it because this is the only billion dollar movie in this franchise. If you told me in a, in a franchise that a Batman versus Superman or Man of Steel or Justice League or Wonder Woman, I'd be like, yeah, those are a billion. No, it was Aquaman of all movies but I think it deserves it because I think it's a heck of a good time and a good story that it delivers on action and emotion. I uh, know. I agree. I don't really have much to add. I think you really hit on all of it. I, it was so surprising on a number of levels. And I think, I mean, if I had to pinpoint for myself, the one thing that really stood out to mo- the most was, was Orm as our, our ultimate antagonist and that battle between them and the tension. It just, it felt believable and earned and, and grounded and, Again, just more compelling than oftentimes we get, especially looking at some of the other, you know, boss boss fights that we've had in <laughs> in a number of these other movies. So it, it's. I mean, he's great. probably the second best villain after Zod. I don't know that Carapax man. He had some stuff going on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's a back man. Let me tell you. Um, I gotta say, hey, and when Orm comes back for his second appearance, far superior to Zod's second appearance. That's another strike against the Flash, like. You bring back Zod and Feora and use them that way. How dare you? How dare you? So, but hey, Michael Shannon got a good paycheck. I'm sure his family got some good Christmas presents out of it. Whatever, right? Um, but um, I, again, I really like Patrick Wilson. I think he just brings something to it. Like it's, I, I, I you know, I, I can't put my finger on it. But you know, Snyder guy too. I mean, he came from Watchmen. I assume that's. Uh, I mean, you know. Yeah. I, these things don't happen in a vacuum. I'm sure somebody introduced somebody to somebody, and that's how he got in this. And that's great. Voice of the president in BVS as well on the phone. So, Oh, uh, there you go. Yeah, there you go. There you go. But no, I, I just, and it's something we had never seen before. I think that's what made Aquaman so cool. Like, like the underwater battle, I'm seeing like Aquaman ride a shark and fight a dude on a seahorse and crab armies and fighting. Like it's fantastic. You've never seen that. And that's, and we're running out of things we've never seen before in these movies. And that delivered in that front. So there you go. No, it's a winner for sure. No, I think you, you, you covered it all. So, that was my number five. Hmm. It was your number three. We've hit on your number four, which was Shazam. My number four was mm-hmm. the first Wonder Woman movie. Okay, that's my number two. That's your number two. That's what I figured. <laughs> as we're as we're winding <laughs> down here, this one, to be honest, the only knock against it, and I think you and I are in agreement here, is in that third act, the reveal that it was in fact Ares, uh, who was <laughs> manipulating events and. I, you know, I've read certain articles. I think it that might have been more of a studio mandate. I'm not entirely sure, but it's 
to me, the most disappointing aspect of the movie, and it might sound odd to start with the one thing I didn't like, but that was the one thing I didn't like because it was, I just, I, I would love to have seen the movie that ended with Diana realizing that, no, it's not always a God pulling strings. Sometimes men just have war in their hearts and it must be overcome in a different way. Uh, the fact that sort of what, what she had believed proved to be true. And then we had, again, our typical slugfest at the end I, is really the only knock. I mean, to be so much so, I don't know that my top three would have could be pierced, but had that third act in Wonder Woman been different, I would have maybe entertained having it even higher on the list. But as it is, I mean, absolutely tremendous. I love the period piece. I love uh, that dynamic among that, that ragtag group ragtag group the relationship that develops between her and steve uh yeah i mean it's it's uh and also too it's funny like when you think about the sequence of these and this is something that i wanted to ask i was going to save it for the end but let me ask you here because there are a number when you look at the progression of this dceu there are some major stumbles here right batman v superman really took a lot of criticism. Uh, and again, performed well, didn't cross the billion dollar mark, but obviously fans were really divided on it. Uh, then you have Suicide Squad, which again, made money, but got torn apart. But then Wonder Woman comes along, right? And is this big hit critically and commercially. Uh, then Justice League, which another stumble, but then this huge rebound with Aquaman after it, the only movie to cross a billion dollars. And I'm like, it's just curious to me, and I don't know that there's an answer to this, but it's like the DCEU was able to kind of overcome those stumbles of BVS and Suicide Squad and then Justice League. They were able to overcome those. And then after Aquaman, it's like they just could never get any traction again. And what's particularly odd is like what came after Aquaman was Shazam, which was very well received. A so really like, good one. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't have any answer. I don't even know what the question is, but it's just like, why were they, I like, they were able to overcome some of these stumbling blocks, but then at a certain point, they just like totally sputtered out. That's a great point. I mean, you look at, if, if you, if you, if you look at these movies in a vacuum, you don't know like when they came out or anything, you'd be like, oh yeah, everything was great. And then Justice League happened. Everybody hated everything. And then it was game over. I'm like, no, actually that's, or, or like I said, that one, two punch in 2016, right? BVS divisive theatrical cut suicide squad. Oh, well then what money do they even make after that? Right? Like, well, no, they actually were quite successful with the wonder woman, with the knock command, even justice league in its compromised state made almost $700 million. Now the problem was, they decided to to spend a hundred million dollars on reshooting or more than that reshoots, which 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 really screwed up their budget. But that, we'll get to that in a second. Um, the, the the trajectory is baffling. I think I think what it was. I, I I think honestly, people wanted more Superman. People wanted a Batfleck movie, right? They were in limbo about both those characters, and I don't. I will never know. We're talking about Wonder Woman now. Like I will never understand why they didn't like start cranking out Wonder Woman and Aquaman movies. Like, what is the problem here? Like, what are we doing? Like, I'm not, I'm not saying Russian, like, half-ass sequels, but, like, let's let's get some stuff planned. Let's do a trilogy. Let's let's map it out. Like, and, you know, look, I am as tired as everybody else where there's a part one that sets up a part two and a part three, and it's not a complete story. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you had two really good, well-received, financially successful films with two breakout characters and actors who want to be there, right, and they're the face of the DCEU. And then you just you just do nothing like like Aquaman two came out five years after the original. That's in this in this day and age in this franchise world, insane, insane. And yeah, I know there was like 
COVID delays is one one nineteen eighty four and stuff. But even then, like that was still going to be almost three years. So it's I think that's the problem. They never, whenever they had an opportunity to kind of like, and again, we're almost there. Whenever you have the opportunity to jump on the trajectory of something, they don't do it. Like Black Adam didn't blow off the 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 the, the blow off the roof of the of the bank or whatever. But like it was relatively well received and had a lot of positive energy around it. There's a lot of they underestimate that intangibility, right, of the positive energy. Um, and and again, like, what Aquaman makes a billion. The next movie is Shazam in the spring. A cheaper movie to make, so it was still profitable, right? Because it made, like, you know, $350 million or something. But then after that, it's like, I don't know, guys, I guess we'll do a rated R Birds of Prey movie. I'm like, well, no, 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 you you, you can't do that stuff yet. You you have to, like, Marvel gets to do that. Again, I'm bringing it, I, I think we did really well. We didn't talk about Marvel a lot. But I'm bringing it back from the beginning. You don't get to do that stuff yet. You need to establish your 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 pillars, your Batman's, your Superman's. You know, you, you gotta, and then you can then you can go make your Ant Man, Guardians of the Galaxy kind of stuff. But that's the DC. They, they blow through everything, try to get to the shortcuts. I think if I'm trying to answer this question, I <laughs> you're posing. I'm trying to understand it too. We're all here, you know, always sunny in Philadelphia, <laughs> stringing the <laughs> stringing the string together. That's the best I can come up with. Right. I mean, they they just they pursued projects that were not in their best interest to pursue at that time, or they could have. Look, come out with Birds of Prey and Blue Beetle if you have a Superman movie coming out that year, right? But you can't have like, hey guys, the big movie of 2020 is a rated R Birds of Prey movie. Let's not forget that. I think that was a barrier to entry to a lot of people for that film as well. So there you go. That's what I got. No, that's true. It's like even if even putting aside the lack of an overall narrative arc connecting these. Even just, like I said before, thinking about the flow of this, thinking about this like an album and having, uh, again, the big tentpole that, you know, is is not, not that anything is a, a sure thing, but that is a safer bet and then taking a chance on some of these other things. But yeah, the just the, the flow, the order of, of some of this is is crazy because like it's easy for us to sit here and be like, oh, they should have done this. They should have done that. But it's at the same time, it's like, is it that hard if you look at the list of movies like you said? <laughs> You look at what you you look at that that initial batch and Wonder Woman and Aquaman stand out. Not to continue beating up on Flash, but it's like, how on are you like to do a Flashpoint movie that was actually true to the comics and featured Wonder Woman and Aquaman at war with each other? You think maybe there would have been some interest in that? I feel like. <laughs> oh, and you got the perfect guy, uh, the perfect guy to play Thomas Wayne, who's already there, who who's a who's been in the fandom as like wannabe fan cast forever. Is this guy, and he's a very popular character actor who's on you know, The Walking Dead, which was like one of the top you know TV shows in the world at some point. Not to mention Supernatural and whatever. Right? It's just like you know, to quote our buddy Lance, every decision they make is. Yep. Just... It just seems like it's it's. Uh, it's crazy. Like you said, it cannot be that hard. It cannot be that difficult. And, you know, these regime changes, I guess everybody wants to put their own stamp on it. Right? Maybe that's probably like, well, that's what they were doing. But here's what we're doing. And I was like, guys, guys, come on. You can't you, you can't continue this. It's it's weird that it's even existed this long. But you see, frankly, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like we, we complain about rebooting, but then it's like 10 years like look at look at sony with spider-man spider-man 3 was 07 uh amazing spider-man amazing spider-man 2 right was uh 2011 and then 2014 and then they're like you know what this isn't working hard reboot again disney help us out 2017 i think is um is uh tom holland in homecoming and, and he'd already been in you know civil war and stuff 
So like within 10 years, they got three Spider-Mans, they repositioned everything and they're ready to go. Here they're like, well, I don't know. We want to get away from Snyder, but let's make that Flash movie with Ben Affleck. And what do you, that makes no sense. Bring back Zod. That'll help us. Like, what are you talking about? Like it's, I don't get it. We could be here all pulling strings all night and never find the answer, but it doesn't make any sense. I, I'm right there with you. If nothing else, DC is consistent across media because they run into the That's same true. problem in the comics. And we've covered all the crisis events. It's like multiple opportunities where it's like you really should just do a full-on reboot, but they will never pull that trigger. And so you always get nope. you know, half one foot in and one foot out, and you're not quite sure what's in. What's It's like, anyway... A lot of they've a lot left on the table uh, across the cinematic universe. Is there anything else about Wonder Woman though that you wanted to say before we yeah, go to number one? I guess one? we went off the thing. Uh, uh, I took us. I apologize. <laughs> I was going to say no, no, you're no, you're good. Uh, you you said everything I was going to say. Like the, the what keeps this from being like a perfect movie is the climax, is the like because it's all it's all working. She's had this misunderstanding. She's naive, right? She's learning about the world, so it's all moving towards this. Oh, the most essential truth I ever thought is also false. I'm going to lose my faith. I'm going to go away for a hundred years. Like it's right there. Like, but it's, it does feel studio made. Like, no, you got to have a big fight. And they're like, Oh, well, we weren't going to, but I guess we can. And that's, that's how it feels. Now it's a testament to the movie that, that, that it, it overcomes that. And that you still like, it's still a strong movie. And I would say more than any other movie that's come since, uh, this captures the spirit of the Richard Donner Superman movies. You know, that same flavor, uh, and I know that was a big influence on on Patty Jenkins as well. So I feel like like that, you know, where it's it's the it's the you know the, the humanity of it, the relationship of it is such a such a core essential thing. And and you you some Wonder Woman, a very serious character, um, but there's some fun to be had, right? There's some whimsy around there, but it's never self depreciating. It's not a parody of itself. It is played entirely straight, and that's the kind of stuff I gravitate just now i like my meta stuff as well i love community and i you know that's like my favorite sitcom like i like the kind of stuff there's a time and a place and now's not the time or a place like i like how like let's treat these characters like modern mythology like they are treated like lord of the rings nobody in lord of the rings is making jokes about stuff you know this is they are 100 invest in the world they're in and that's what i like to see in these superhero movies and wonder woman does that and the stronger movies of all these do that and that's why these are in my top you know these are all in my top tier and these top three for me they could rotate depending on the day, frankly. And one moment is just a real triumph. And, and let's not, let's not overlook the fact that this, you know, there have been several attempts at, you know, female led comic book movies that have failed over the years and Marvel hadn't even touched it until Wonder Woman came out. Like, Oh, we better get on that. You know, like way to go DC. Like you can, you can make a good decision when you try. So, and this was one of those good decisions and a breakout character. And then, and, and that is why 1984 was so disappointing because you go from this to that and it just it, it's crazy but it, it was great um chris pine was fantastic they get chemistry and uh, i wouldn't have, i wouldn't have brought him back for the sequel i just left him there uh and there are ways there are ways to continue you could have done you know you could have done the 70s the 80s like she's this ageless it makes perfect sense to do things through the decades they just they just went the wrong path of the sequel but this setup you could have done anything with one more after this as long as you adhere to the continuity that's always very important to me like the, the way 1984, like, oh, she can fly now in the 80s, which doesn't fly in, in BVS or Justice League, does she? So what are we doing here? But anyway, all that's the side. Um, this this is part this is part of the foundation they should have built on. Kind of did, but didn't go all the way. And here we are. So love yeah. it. Wonder Woman. And look, I know we, we, we said the word frustration. We've expressed a lot of frustration as we've been talking about this. But I think part of the reason is because they're – 
there were a lot of strengths to the DCEU and we just wanted to see those capitalized on. That's all. So Mm -hmm. by process of elimination, it appears that the number one pick for both of us is Zack Snyder's Justice League. Hashtag release the Snyder Cut, Anthony. That's what I say. It will forever astound me that this happened. That the movement succeeded and that this movie was released. I don't know that you would see it happen again. I think it was that that exact confluence of factors, right? The movement at that point in time during COVID when studios were starved for content, when you had HBO Max, this fledgling streaming service that needed content and all of it came together. And obviously I've talked about it before, but I will, I will always cherish that viewing experience that I had the night it came out. I took a little nap, woke up at three or a little before 3 a.m. And at 3 a.m. I'm, I'm there, man. I press play. And for those four hours, so often with these movies, especially when we've seen a lot in the preview materials and we had seen a lot of, of Zack Snyder's Justice. I mean, we had seen a movie that had some of his footage in it. He had been sharing a lot. There's a lot that we had seen. Um, and we have certain expectations going in. And a lot of times, you know, the experience doesn't quite live up to it. But this was one of those rare, beautiful experiences where the watching of it not only met, but exceeded my expectations. The, the, the fact that this movie was truly as different from the theatrical cut as it was, was astounding. It was such an immersive, soulful experience. Uh, I, again, I will always remember that experience because it was just, uh, just like a a top, uh, you know, movie watching moment for myself. Uh, and I've, I've rewatched the regular Zack Snyder's Justice League in color held up great. I watched the Justice's Grey edition, loved watching that too. Uh, it's, and I feel like it just represents, I mean, clearly it's number one on both of our lists, like the pinnacle of this extended universe and certainly everything Snyder was building to see it come together like that. How about yourself? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of reasons this is number one. I, and I think I mean, you hit on a, like just the, the accomplishment that it, it happened was just, I mean, you got to respect that. And it was a perfect storm. And it, to think that we would have never seen this without all, all these things falling in place to, to think again, to talk about the behind the scenes stuff, to think that they sat there in 2016 or whatever, and they were making this and they were like, well, we can't release this. We need to hire Joss Whedon to rip it apart and put it back together. I'm like, what are you kidding me? Like, no, it's a little too long, but that's fine. Cause a lot of movies are a little too long. Like it came out on HBO max and they originally planned to do like mini series. And that's why it's six parts. So let's stretch everything out. And that's, you know, we got awesome laughs about the slow motion and whatnot. But, um, I love the chapter element to it because they do feel like self-contained you know, chapters of a chapters of this movie, chapters of a story. And, and to me, like, you know, again, like I'm, I'm like, well, you know, I do really love the whole Superman world of it all. Well, he's barely in this, you know? So there, there's that going for it. But, but in all seriousness, like it, it is, I would have loved to see a fully formed justice league at full power with Superman on it. And, you know, hopefully we would have gotten that in a sequel to never, to never happen. But, um, to me, like that, that, that stand up. And I was talking about these stand up and sure moments from Black Adam. Like, yeah, you know, to me, is that moment in, in the Snyder Cut where it's, it's, yes, it's a Avengers shot. You know, it's Avengers S shot. But like, when you see all of them, all five of them in the Batmobile and the Flash, Knockman, when they're slow motion jumping toward, I'm like, yeah, 
yeah, like I don't know, like like that that got me excited, man. Like that was that's the Justice League, and they're going to save the day, and and um, I don't know, like it it was great. Like I just, uh, it, it's it's is it a perfect film? No, of course, and I think that's where a lot of a lot of this discourse comes from, like because you got people like saying like well, this is the only version of Superman. And I'm like, well, it's not. And then people fight. And like, but that's, that's immaterial. Like I can still say this is a five-star film and I think it's like, you know, the perfect thing of all time. Um, but I just, it was, a, as you said, it's a culmination of what they were working towards. And it's just so unfortunate that they, they got cut short, right? WB was like, yeah, let's do something else. <laughs> like what? Like it's crazy. Like even the people who were extremely skeptical about this movie were like, well, yeah, it was pretty good. And that says a lot because there's a lot of people who are really skeptical of Zack Snyder out there. And they saw this and I'm like, oh, I don't know, man, maybe he was on some. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just it, to, when else are you going to see all these characters together? Right. In live action, it's the only time. And we'll see if ever happens again anytime soon. I mean, there's there's unfortunately poison in the water when it comes to the term Justice League, even at this point, because of all the nonsense that's happened. And, you know, you get this and then, you know what, like like even even like the even a little even a little moment at the end. Or like, and this is the kind of stuff people are like, you're just a, a Snyder bro. I'm like, listen, I am not a Snyder bro, okay? I'm just a normal guy, and I just happen to, I happen to gravitate towards these films. Like, but when Batman is, Batman is climbing up the thing, and Superman lifts him up, it's like, he's lifting Batman up out of darkness, right? I was like, oh my god, it's so good. Um, it's just a lot of little things like that. Attention to detail that Snyder puts in there. That it, That is, and yes, a lot of filmmakers do that too. He's not the only guy who can do it. But when he's doing it, it's really cool. And I like seeing it. Um, Batman, the journey that he's gone on in this film, he went from like a very dark place to he's the one like Faith, Alfred, right? And he's he's a little, got a little levity. Like, oh, this is Alfred. I work for him. Fantastic stuff. All these character moments. And that is a, that is a valid criticism about some of these earlier DCU Snyder movies. Like there's not enough like small little character moments, but those are all here. It's like if you would just hold up, let him cook, <laughs> you know, you would have given you what you were looking for. And um and look, these versions of the characters aren't for everybody, but I think it really paid off and kind of melded kind of what I was looking for versus maybe some of the stuff I wasn't so like keen on, you know, and those, and as we talked about in the, in the earlier Snyder movies, and I just, just nailed it, man. Like, uh, and then, and then to tease dark side at the end, Superman versus dark side. And you're like, Oh wow, here we go. And then just to leave that on the table is just crazy to me. And this is just another one of those, those points where they could have, they could have picked up the momentum of this made a Justice League 2 in some form or fashion. I wasn't too crazy on the future plans of, like, evil Superman and all that. Like, I would... The nightmare stuff, we didn't even talk about on DVS, but, like, if you got to cut 45 minutes out, that's the first thing to go, in my opinion. <laughs> you know, the nightmare sequence. Cut all that out, right? You don't need it. But who knows what it would have done with, with this uh, Justice League 2. Like, I, it's, ironically, all of my least favorite parts of this film are the things that he shot later. I'm <laughs> like, I didn't need Martian Manhunter in this. I didn't need to see, you know... Uh, nightmare sequence again, but whatever. Those things don't ruin the movie. Just like the the third act of Wonder Woman thing doesn't like. Oh well, you know that ruined the movie. No, that ruined the movie. It's just the thing you don't like in it, right? I love Superman. The movie's my favorite, gold standard, right? Reversing the Earth, you know, reversing time. Uh, a lot of people don't like it. Does it ruin the movie? No, it's just a thing. It's a kind of weird thing they did. I like it. The power of love, like you know, you know, it's it's a thing, right? It's a thing. These are comic movies, <laughs> you know, and so that works for me there. Things work for me here. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is. It's great. I now is it my favorite comic movie of all time? No, but I think it is. As you said, it's the pinnacle of what they were going for here, and that's why it's number one on both of our lists. 
Well, well said. Uh, I, I agree with the Martian man, the, Mar- the Martha reveal as Martian Manhunter. That's Martha like, Manhunter. <laughs> that's like the one thing where I'm like, oh man, I, because it just, it, it robs the character of Martha of that moment that she just had. So that's, that's a little bit of a bummer, but otherwise, like I said, I mean, I just, I enjoyed it from top to bottom. It, I, I'm with you. I feel like if this isn't already being taught in film school classes, it really needs to be because both the theatrical cut and, and Snyder's version, they, plot wise, right. Follow the same structure and the same primary beats. But when people say it's the same movie, that that's what they're saying. But I mean, like, this is such a masterclass and like, oh yeah, but there are two different ways to tell the story. And they just, it, this just has such a different feel to it. Soulful is the word I come back to. You really just feel for the, for the characters. I mean, Cyborg has an actual arc in this. It's it's amazing. He even mentioned Cyborg. He's a revelation, right? Ray Fisher was great as in his whole character. Like he's, he is almost the main character of the whole thing. Him and Joel Morton, who has so much, you know, I mean, I, I have a good laugh about, oh, he's always the guy that invents robots and stuff, right? He's in Smallville, he's in Terminator 2, right? But like, no, he had a, they had stuff to do here. I mean, the whole, when he dies, it's so powerful, you know? I'm like, man, like, like to, to think we would have never seen any of this. We would have never seen any of it. The Flash reversing time for, for like five seconds to save the day. I mean, like, you know, not my favorite Flash in the world, but he's good in this. I'll tell you that. Like, he's, yeah, I mean, like, there's so much here, like, would have informed these versions of the characters moving forward that we didn't see. So it's interesting. Uh, hey, Aquaman, you know what the biggest revelation to me was? Was, oh, Mara was supposed to have an English accent? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I know, there is, there is that. But, you know, the Junkie XL score, I loved. And you, you mentioned this before, the relative lack of Superman. And when I was first making the list, I had this a little bit lower for that exact reason. There's not a ton of Superman in it. Would I have loved a subsequent scene with Clark and Lois talking about her pregnancy? Absolutely. Would I have loved a scene reestablishing Clark at the Daily Planet? Yep, would have been great. However, despite how limited Superman screen time is in this, this movie gave me two moments that are cemented in my mind as two of my all-time favorite Superman moments in anything that walk through the ship, hearing the voices of both of his fathers, your heart was tested, but you gave hope to the world. It's time, fly, like absolutely gorgeous. And then some of the absolute best Superman action we have ever seen anywhere. When he <laughs> saves Cyborg and gives us that not impressed and freezes the ax, incredible i mean i will those moments live rent free in my head as the kids say and i just mm. i will always be grateful to the movie for that i wanted more superman but the superman we got i i was absolutely thrilled with yeah now it's uh it was a journey man it was a journey much like this podcast which is what three hours <laughs> two and a half two and a half so we have all, now almost as long as the snyder cut itself <laughs> So at this point now, we have concluded our ranking of the 16 films. To recap our top six real quick, from six to one, for Zach, it's BVS, Ultimate Edition, Man of Steel, Shazam, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, and the Snyder Cut. For me, it's Shazam, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, Man of Steel, BVS, and the Snyder Cut. We were pretty close uh, <laughs> throughout <laughs> throughout our list. Yeah, the middle was the one. Again, that's that area where it's like, yeah, you could mix those up and depending on your mood, you know, and, and, and for us, yeah, I mean, our, our top and bottom are the same, just a matter of just certain, 
movies in certain areas. And like I said, on, on, on a good day, like the, you know, those, those top three for me could, I could, you know, I could say either one of them were my favorite. I think there's been lists in the past, especially when Aquaman first came out. I was like, I think that was my favorite one, <laughs> you know, yes. when it, when it first came out because it delivered in a way that Wonder Woman didn't on the third act, for example. Um, but yeah, I just, that's, it's awesome. Right? It's, it's, it's to see that, that the Zack Snyder's just like, he's number one on both of our lists. I, I expected as much from you. Did you expect that? for me or I well it's funny I from our conversations and from seeing your posts yes but I purposely because I know you've been ranking them and I know you've been sharing them on social mm -hmm. media I purposely did not go back and look at any of your old posts because I wanted to be surprised but mm -hmm. I had seen them before so mm -hmm. I had like a rough idea but uh I, I purposely didn't yep. remind myself and you know you mentioned this idea of uh you know be a Snyder bro and I, I do just want to say like for the record I I don't consider myself that either uh and as I've always said and will forever maintain my position is just that Snyder's take on the character is a valid take. And I take issue with those who say it's not a valid take. You cannot like it. But as someone, both of us have studied this character in many, many forms, it is. It is a, it is a valid take on the character. Now, on the other hand, I would never say this is the only valid take. So for those who are so firmly entrenched that this is the only version of the character they'll accept, you do you. I think you might have a hard road ahead <laughs> because this is it. So that's kind of where, where I land. And I, I understand sort of the, the various perspectives on it, but that's, that's my feeling. I do have the frustration yeah. of the initial reaction to those first movies. Uh, I, I will forever have this feeling of like people just, I don't know, weren't ready for this. And I guess even I was included in that initially, though I was open-minded <laughs> enough to continue along, but I just feel like, man, if people had just maybe been a little bit more on board you wonder what what the course of movies would have looked like and we'll we'll never just know. stay the course stay the course like it's it's crazy it's the most reactionary studio in the history of movies it's just like oh we got to change everything every pendulum going left pendulum going right like you can look look at this list of movies and how different they are and like i said not not in the good different you know it's just this um very just this short-sightedness unfortunately and um i would have you know really liked to just see this play out and then you know what then you would have had your five Snyder movies and that would have been it and then everybody would have been like okay it's over let's move on but now it's never going to end people are going to always want to do Justice League 2 and all these things and um, and you can't blame them right because like people said the Snyder Cut was impossible so let's do the next impossible thing I understand the thinking I still want them to release the Batfleck movie and I love the Batman with Robert Pattinson but like I wanted a Batfleck movie but we're never going to get it because of the nonsense that happened with Justice League that's a huge thing. I mean, that's what frustrated him and he had a lot going on in his life and he, but he walked away from it. And, uh, the, I think that's one of the great, to me, the, the greatest lost thing of all this, uh, is the Batman, uh, movie with Ben Affleck writing, directing and starring. What a, what a, what a cool thing that would have been. Right. So that's, to me, that's the greatest lost thing of, of the DCEU. I know. No, I'm with you. One of the only positives, uh, rewatching suicide squad was seeing, Bat Fleck in yeah. his prime in those in those couple of scenes. Yeah. I'm like, oh, little, little did we know that was going to be about it. <laughs> I, know. I know. No, I'm with you. Well, listen. Yeah, that, no, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say that 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 is better than him in the Flash. Yes. Like no question. Like it's literally night or day because he's in the day for some reason. <laughs> the Flash and he's and he's himself at night and uh in Suicide Squad. So yeah. Well, so hey, Anthony, this has been great, man. Thanks for thanks for having me on. Uh, I think we were able to talk through a lot of things as long as this was, it could have been three times as long for all the thoughts we have about these movies. These are not our 
complete thoughts or anything, but uh, uh, a nice flyover. And I, I think I think we got our point across with with our thoughts. How about you? I I like to think so, I, and I appreciate you making your list and taking the time to have this conversation. I enjoyed it a lot. It's always cathartic when we can talk through these things. And I, I'm glad we were able to do this sort of postmortem on the DCEU and, and get all of these thoughts out. And look, regardless of the quality of the movies as podcasters, the DCU has been great for us. You know, it's given us a lot to talk. Fantastic. About. <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm curious. How many episodes have I done on the Snyder cut and all these things? It's great. It's amazing. I, you know, one of the, the only thing that we can't answer now, and I, I wonder what time will, will hold is, is how these movies will age and how they'll be viewed um, by us in the years to come. And again, by new viewers as they come up and they find these movies and uh, will some of the ones at the bottom of our list become these, these gems that, that people hold up or not. I, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I wonder, cause we've just been in it for so long, but in any event, we look ahead to the DCU and we'll see what comes to fruition there. And of course, we'll be here to talk about it. But, uh, you know, thank you again so much. Of course, the audience hears the plug for Always Hold On to Smallville and your family of shows. But is there anything in particular you want to mention or anywhere in particular you want to direct them? No, you know, we're in season nine right now and Always on Smallville. My podcast is about that young Superman show that ran from 2001 to 2011 on the WB and the CW. Uh, recently covered Absolute Justice. Uh, the two-parter, and uh, I had the pleasure of talking to Jeff Johns. So check that out, uh, writer of the episode. He'll be back, uh, if all goes well, he'll be back to talk about Booster as well, uh, which is, uh, you know, I, I've said about Jeff, we didn't talk about Jeff Johns in this conversation. I <laughs> I was a little uh, I was a little shocked when I saw his name come up on Wonder Woman 1984 written by, I was like, oh no! Yes! <laughs> he really is my favorite comic book writer. And uh, I think he does fantastic comic work. I think he does fantastic television work. Just for whatever reason... It didn't really hit when he was uh, doing his DCU stuff, uh, although he was really involved in Aquaman, which 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 really worked out because he he wrote the New Fifty Two version of Aquaman, uh, which which was heavily inspired these films in their own way. Uh, but that's that's the the latest greatest thing I got going on over there, and of course, uh, you know, Smallville has ten seasons, so you know, if you're listening to this in twenty twenty four, you're 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 near the end of of that coverage, but we got fun plans for the future and. We're just going to keep this thing going. And there's, you know, hopefully there'll be a whole new DC universe we can keep talking about on these podcasts, Anthony. That's the plan. <laughs> well, thank you again. Uh, and hope everyone will check out uh, your your network of shows. Uh, thank you, audience. Happy New Year. This is our first episode of 2024. A lot of great episodes to come. I hope you will keep tuning in. And of course, as always, it's about what you do. It's about action. This podcast is an affiliate of BCW Supplies. The next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. That's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions. It helps support the show too. Many of you have already used this code and I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Be sure to check out our sister podcast series, another exciting episode in The Adventures of Superman, an episode-by-episode -episode breakdown of the classic George Reeves television show, available wherever you get podcasts. Please join us on social media, become a patron, and subscribe, rate, and review today. Links are in the show notes. Thank you all. <laughs>